Ladies, gentlemen, this is the smorgasbord. And welcome to the Smorgasbord, your comic book podcast brought to you by the extremely fine folks at Seaports, the best online and unusual source for comic books news, reviews, and discussion. Buy their books, read their articles, watch their movies. I am Tom Shapira, and with me, as always... Hello, I'm Sean Edry. The universe you knew is nothing but a memory, and I have no intention of leaving anyone alive to honor it. The Anti-Monitor. That would Appropriate, be ain't it? Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't like to remember the anti-monitor. Well, the reason that his memory is so fresh in my mind is because, because. news of the hour, the Marvel Universe is ending. Crisis on Infinite Marvel Universe. Okay. Okay. Let me. We're jumping straight into the news. No, not stopping. I'm meditating and I'm putting myself like in a good place because I don't want to raise my blood. What happened? There was a press conference. Yes. Held at a comic book store that was hilarious. In which Axel Alonso used pizza metaphors. So. And Axel Alonso and Tom Brevor basically said that the ending of the Secret Wars miniseries will be the end of both the regular and the Ultimate Marvel Universe, which is a code word. It's a code word for. We really like to keep Miles Morales, but we don't want to keep the Ultimate Universe. So right. I mean, no one's under yeah. any illusions that this is about getting Miles Morales into the main universe. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, they the, the report itself was incredibly unclear. Like, no one was sure if they were talking about a reboot or a relaunch. And, in fact, one of the things that came up afterwards, and to this day no one's sure if it's accurate or not, is the notion they're not just merging the Ultimate Universe, but rather they are... Collapsing all of the multiverse, so to speak, into one battle world that will be okay. like the setting of the Marvel Universe. Well, they brought back Onslaught. I guess it's only natural that Counter-Earth was coming next, right? We should have seen it coming. Oh, Counter-Earth, <laughs> Weird World. Did they, did they mention Star Comics? Are we going to get a new planet, Terry? No? Okay, okay look. I Boss Dog. Once, once the rage passed... I tried to think of it like in a positive light, right? I tried to think, okay, this could be a, a, an opportunity for new types of stories. It's a new setting. Uh, maybe, you know, they could do some spring cleaning, get rid of things that aren't working. The whole presence of the original X-Men, I think they've overstayed their welcome at this point. So if there's an opportunity to, to clean things, maybe, maybe. You know, I was willing to stay optimistic. And then I thought about it and I realized it's not going to work. No. And it's not going to work for, for three very specific reasons. And I want to sort of like bring this in, into a, a, an overall discussion of why it's not going to work. Like I don't claim to have a crystal ball, but I'm talking about, historically speaking, this is not a gambit that has ever proven efficient. Now, the first reason is, it's the same reason that the New 52 and One Year Later and Crisis on Infinite Earths didn't work. And th that reason is there's no clean break between what comes before and what comes after. It's not like Marvel is going to be rotating all of their creative teams off of the books. They're not going to relaunch all the titles. We know that because a month before uh, Secret Wars starts, we already have like two, three 
high-profile book launches. You know, just, they just started uh, Howard the Duck, and they're just starting... Spider-Gwen. And they're just starting Spider-Gwen yeah. and Silk and what have you. Thor hasn't even finished the first arc, I think. Yeah, so it's not going to be, well, all the titles are canceled, everything is a new number right. one. Even though and Marvel likes to do a new number one every, you know, four months. But no, but also in terms of, you know, the people who are making the creative decisions at Marvel are not suddenly going to find themselves being ousted. They're not going to move Je- uh, Dan Slott or Brian Bendis or Charles Soleil. And I'm not even blaming the writers for this because it makes them, it's the most natural thing in the world to keep doing what you've been doing as a writer when you're working on a serial format, right? Bendis and Soleil and Wilson and all of these writers are not going to magically change their voices or their styles or the stories that they've been working on just because there's this new status quo of Battle World, right? It's going to be, and again, like this is what has always brought DC down with their reboots. Because the people who were writing DC after the reboot are the people who were writing it before the reboot. And, um, and the people who grew up and the people who were writing it in the future, you know, after right. the reboot, grew up on the pre-reboot uh, comics and were a fan of these. It, that's not even these. the problem. I mean, I remember yes, after... Yes, because whenever, whenever you say like, okay, from now on Superman is really the last son of Krypton and there is no Supergirl, there is right. no Superboy... A new writer comes along and is like, well, I really liked Supergirl as a kid. I'm going to bring her back. And you can't stop me, uh, right. John Byrne, because you, you're no longer here. Exactly. This new world will always end up looking like the old world eventually. And that sort of brings me to the, the, the second point, which is, you know, Marvel's making the same fundamental mistake that we have always picked on DC for making, which is assuming that stories about, quote-unquote, the world are more important than the stories about the characters. Yes, obviously they're doing this to get Miles Morales into the main universe. But my question is, why do we need Miles Morales in the main universe? It's If you are a fan of Miles Morales, you want a book about Miles Morales. It doesn't... I mean, the, the, the reason that this is such a problem is because they have themselves trained their readers to think that if it's, like, alternate universe or whatever, it doesn't count. And I don't have to read it. But if Miles Morales is in the like the battle world or whatever, if he's in the main Marvel universe, what exactly does that change? Nothing. My big question is, how long before you know before some new writer comes along and he's reviving the <laughs> Ultimate Universe? Like five years from now, are we right. gonna get the Ultimate Universe reborn? Probably five years max. You know that that's I mean, my count. Well, let's be fair. How long did it take them to bring back Onslaught? We're talking late 90s. Yeah, but, thi- but things are running a lot faster now. They How are. long did it take them to bring the new universe back? You know, a lot right. of time, you know. Well, and then it went right back to where it started. And then and then Aikman brought it back again. You yeah. Know, Roy and Ellis tried. That did not work, work out as, as, the, as... Well, it works for Hickman, you know, sales-wise and critic-wise. Because right. people like his Avengers stuff. We don't. A lot of people do. Okay. Fine. Fair enough. We'll get to Hickman later. Yes, we will. But... So really, like that's sort of my first two objectives. My first two objections to this are, on the one hand, really like you know, it's not like the writers are going to change. So, and in fact, you remember Johns was writing, was it Green Lantern? Green Lantern in the new and people weren't sure if it had been rebooted or not because he was just doing whatever it was that he was already doing. Yeah. So and Morrison's Batman Incorporated. Yeah, like these are not people that you force to do things differently. So why even bother, right? Like, how new is Battle World going to be if Bendis is still writing the X Men? That's well, that's like well, the, Bendis the... has been on the X Men for a while now. Maybe yeah. it's his drop off point. No, but I was like, I'm not even blaming Bendis for that because you know he is a writer who has certain storylines in mind and, and certain style. He is, you know, unless you know, they're getting rid of him, why bother? 
Like the, thing, just... the thing that I don't like about it is, like you said, it's the DC problem of the universe, you know, the comic book universe as a shared thing, is a problem in and of itself. Yeah. But, like a scab, poking at it isn't going to help. <laughs> it's it's going to get be- infected. Yes, <laughs> it's best if you ignore it and carry on with the little itches of, well, it doesn't work chronologically and not everything fits together. It's okay as yeah. long as you don't look at it. These are things like that a magic, we accept as real. It's a magic trick. Yeah. You don't want to see the magic unrevealed. Not more than once. You had a Watchmen once, and that's all she wrote. Exactly. About deconstructing the myths and the ideas behind that. Yeah. It's like we are, as readers, whatever age we are, whatever generation we were when we got into comics, there are certain things that we accept for granted. One of which is, it doesn't matter where, what universe Miles Morales is in. If you like this character, I would not care if Kamala Khan was in the Ultimate Universe, or in the 616 Universe, or in 1602, or whatever. I would be reading Kamala Khan. Like, I don't care. But that's, you know, I, Marvel's I, perspective. Wait, what else do you think they're going to do aside from bringing Miles Morales to the mainstream universe? No, I'm, I'm it's thinking... clear that they know. It's clear that they want to use this opportunity to get rid of... I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the Fantastic Four and the X-Men get downplayed yeah. as a result of this. Because... Uh, Fantastic Four get chopped off. Yeah. I would not be surprised at all. And bringing, bringing in, I guess, more movie elements. Like, maybe in the new continuity or whatever, you know, the first Avengers was against the Shitari because that was right. how it was in the movies, and Loki is now everybody's favorite, so you can't have him and as a generic bad guy. I think, like, we've talked about the the extremely wrong-minded approach of making the comics more like the movies. And because... from now on, uh, Nick Fury has always been Samuel L. Jackson and right. not... The odd. Well, maybe it's better that he's always have been Samuel L. Jackson, other guess, than the under have... the now weird version where Samuel L. Jackson version is the son of David Hasselhoff. Yeah, uh, I don't think we need that. See, I told you before that the only reason for me to ever go back and watch Agents of Shield again, if they bring in David Hasselhoff as the bad guy, <laughs> it's like the evil Nick Fury. That's like when you wanted Keanu Reeves to be in Constantine. I'm like, yeah, these are the sort of in jokes that we would really appreciate. Yes, uh, and only us. No yeah, one else. Just us, but hey, at least we'd start watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Which yeah, is because they really care for, for, you know, my views. With the ratings that they're getting now, they, give, <laughs> they, they need all the help they can get. Okay. I do have one other problem with this. Yes. And it, again, like, it ties into the whole notion of know your history. DC has tried over and over again to set these arbitrary restrictions on alternate timelines, right? After the original crisis, there was only supposed to be one Earth. And, and I think that lasted work. three years. And they had to make all sorts of... Excuses and and ways around because John Byrne wanted to do the Kryptonian villains right. without having any Krypton any people from Krypton left. So he had the Microverse where Superman visited and met uh, the other General Zod. Yeah, and the Flash had that whole Mirror Universe, which is not an alternate universe; it's a Mirror Universe created by Mirror Master. So that's fine. It, it, it never when you look worked. at the timeline, like nineteen. 19- Crisis on Infinite Earths, 1986. 1989 was uh, Gotham by Gaslight. Mike Mignola, they wanted to do a Victorian-era Batman in an alternate reality, and they went, and they did it, and that was the first Elseworlds. And it was a good Elseworlds. It was a good story, and it was like, if they had honored the restriction that DC just decided there's not going to be any more parallel worlds, well, you wouldn't have had that story. You wouldn't have had a lot of... You wouldn't have Kingdom Come. You wouldn't have a lot of stories that are... That, that require that distance from the mainstream because, you know, you always have Well, that... I, th- I think it's better than what they had after the, what was it, Infinite Crisis 52, where they decided they had exactly 52, yeah, exactly 52 al- well. alternate Earths. <laughs> What's the reason? That's not going to lie. The reason is there they... are 52 weeks in a year. Yeah, Did you know that? that? 
he fell they fell in love with this number like a talisman. Yeah. And Which after countdown, I don't know if fifty two. For was no a number reason other than fifty two was a success. Yes, and there are fifty two weeks in a year. Did like you know Marvel falling in love with the number twelve because hey, we have twelve months a year when we publish twelve. Isn't that great? We have like twelve comics. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know what that whole numerology thing is about, but um Thank God there isn't a hundred weeks in a week in a year. Imagine the the DC New One Hundred. They'll get there. Well, the, the, the drags of the DCU. But, but that's exactly the thing. Like, on the one hand, yes. So DC has decided there are 52 universes. I will promise you that if Grant Morrison decides there's 52 and a half universes or 56 universes because that's what his particular story needs, then there will be 56. Like, th- they impose these rules. And but then, then break them. They break them and they break them for the obvious reason that the, the alternate universes, you need them. As a, as a trope of the superhero genre, you need to have some kind of space that isn't caught up in the you know the status quo of the the corporate franchise. Like Spider Man is Spider Man is Spider Man is Spider Man. But if you want to be able to tell a story about Spider Girl, you know, in which Peter Parker grows up, has a has a wife, has a daughter, and retires, you can only do that in an alternate universe because you can't. Even, you can try and push characters past their boundaries; they will always snap back. We saw this with Dan Slott and, you know, uh, Dr. Octopus in Spider-Man's body, and now he's not, because, again, like, the status quo will always reassert itself. So you need what if. You need Elseworlds. You need... And, and we well, as to readers... Be fair, think, Ma- to be fair, the people at Marvel never said, it's a one universe, we'll never have... We're blaming them for mistakes that DC did. Maybe no, they do but them. what they have said specifically is that Battleworld, as the, as the Marvel universe, right, there will not be any more 616. For... They said it specifically for the duration of Secret no. War. Yes, yes, what they said, they for said the was that this will be the the Marvel universe going forward. But they won't say. They didn't say what happens when when Secret Wars end. They said for the they duration did. of no. They said for the duration of Secret Wars, this this will be the Marvel universe. Battle Wars. Yes, this will be the Marvel universe. Not other, after. In I, other words, the they, setting in which these books are taking place will be Battle World. If. I think, but they think, I think... Because they're calling it, like, the Marvel Universe has ended. Yeah, but by the end of Secret Wars or whatever, they're going to have a new Marvel Universe. They didn't say, and there will be no more alternate universe. They said there won't be ultimate universe, and thank God for that, because because the ultimate universe... universe... It's that all the alternate universes will coexist on the same Earth. That's the whole point of Battleworld. Like, you have Age of Ultron, and you have all of those teasers that we saw when they were coming out. Yeah. What I understood is that they meant it... For the duration of Secret Wars only, and at the end of Secret Wars, some things will be kept, like Miles Morales will be kept, we'll probably get some movie elements, but they won't, even Marvel won't be so stupid to have uh, the 1992 TV show X-Men in the Marvel Universe. So you're betting on Marvel not being stupid. So stupid. Are you sure you want to yes. make that decision? Yes. Because we, like, we have a record look, of finding their stupidity look, on the Ultimate Universe has look, okay, ended. Yep. The Ultimate Universe has to go. Yeah. I don't think... I mean, this is an example of, like, a universe that just completely disappeared up its own butt. I don't think there's any nostalgia left for it. Yeah, the point for the Ultimate Universe was, here are these characters, fresh, brand new, you know, open for new readers. It doesn't work now. And, you know, it it doesn't work because... Yes, it doesn't work now because it's been more than a decade. And that's fine. It has served its purpose. it, It doesn't work now, not just because it's been a decade, but because now we have the MCU. So in terms of popular depictions of superheroes with all of the baggage and the backstory stripped out, we have the cinematic universe. We don't, like, what purpose does the ultimate line serve anymore? 
really just as a spotlight for an African Latino American uh, uh, Spider-Man. And Miles Morales is a good character, and he should have a book. And I think that it's even possible that to some extent the the Ultimate Universe has been going on for as long as it is only because of Miles Morales. Only because of Bendis, yeah. Well, I mean, even Bendis would have, like, you know, if the book hadn't sold, if, if Morales hadn't been accepted by the readers, that would have been the end of it. He would have just brought Peter Parker back. Well, Bendis is... Is such a popular Marvel that he can. I guess he can. They can carry on his pet projects for as long as he wants. I can. Don't forget, was created specifically for Bendis to have a playground. Yes. And every once in a while, you know, Ed Brubaker would try his hand, and Jason Aaron had his miniseries there, but that's it. Yeah, Bendis is so powerful at Marvel that they created a whole imprint for him to put powers in. Sure. So, no, I, 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 I. I... So I get I think, that. I accept that. I just look, think I, I think it's a bad idea. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not interested in Secret Wars as it is, unless people that I appreciate will tell me as it goes on. Oh, it's really good, Tommy. Nobody's going to tell you that. It's Jonathan Hickman. I don't. Nobody's going to tell you that. <laughs> but I, a lot of my friends are Jonathan Hickman fans. The way that it Jonathan works. Hickman. Well, they're wrong. <laughs> Jonathan Hickman fans have you know have feelings too. I'm one of them. We'll get to often. that. We'll get to that. Okay. Okay. But, so I just like to, to sort of wrap up. I mean. I heard this, and I'm... You know what? I have seven Marvel titles on my pull list. Two of those haven't started yet. <laughs> Three more I can live without. So, in the same way that Flashpoint was a jumping-off point for DC... Like, that's the, the sort of double-edged sword here, is, you know, when you create these artificial events that don't make any sense, and that your readers are in a position to summarily reject, do not be surprised if they take your jumping-on point as a jumping-off point. And speaking of old things coming back... Yeah. Milestone is back. It is. Again. Speaking of things that have Third been... revival by now, right? Uh, well, depends if you consider the DC attempt to bring static and hardware into the DC universe post-New 52. Yeah. Okay, so what happened? That didn't is, work out for Yeah, Ma- Milestone, uh, yeah, the company Milestone created in the 1990s by <clears throat> uh, Dennis Cohen and Wayne McDuffie, RIP, is back. Mm-hmm. And the names talked about right now is Dennis Cohen, which was the artist on Hardware, and after that on a lot of uh, DC and Marvel Universe titles. Uh, Derek Dingle was the original company CEO. Yeah. And Reggie Hoodland, the guy who wrote yeah. Black Panther, and which was awful. His Black Panther one run was oh. terrible. His Django Unchained uh, comic adaptation got better reviews, so... Maybe it was just a bad fit. And he's also, he's mostly famous as a director, right? Yeah, he did, he, for BET. Yeah, he, he's responsible for BET. He did some movies like House Party. Yeah. Okay. Back in the day. Back in the day. Well, we're talking about 90s there. And there, they're bringing back uh, Milestone as Milestone 2.0. Yeah. And I'm interested right now in asking that question. Are those characters, most of them are still owned by DC. DC have the rights for Static. Static has been part of their Teen Titans comic book. I, I I haven't read them recently, but he appeared in them, you know, two, three years back. So, and that's their biggest brand, you know, Static mm-hmm. and the Icon. So when you when you're saying we're signing Milestone as an independent company, what are you going to work with? The well, Blood Syndicate? I, ooh. Well, even, even Zombie X X yeah, Zombie, yeah, not, which I not liked. yeah, yeah. Even Zombie is owned by DC, yeah. And I'm assuming DC is willing to sell, but not for a low price. Well, because Static had the there's TV a bit of show a, and the, and there's such. a bit of a trap here yes. because 
if DC, the, the, the issue here is that the reason, one of the reasons that Milestone is notable, despite the fact that, like, if we're speaking critically, their output was not stellar in terms of quality, right? It's not that the books that they put out were world-changing. Well, and, it was the 1990s, everybody. so it was a head, head and shoulders yeah. <laughs> above, you know, about the, your images and your Superman dying and yeah. Batman back-breaking. And well, you know, th- th- there's it, not much of, there it, wasn't much it competition. Was, it was, oddly enough, you know, this new company, its output was a lot more classical uh, parking to the 80s uh, superheroes than the actual comics published by the men superhero, yes. superhero publishers of the day. But what, what got distinction at the time was the fact that it was owned by African-American creators and that a major uh, motivational factor here was to create like a new generation of African-American heroes for the mainstream superhero genre, which, to be frank, in the 90s could have used a bit of color, no problem. Now... Looking at the names of the creators, obviously, you know, Dwayne McDuffie has passed on, so yeah. he's not involved. Reginald Hudlin. I don't like him as a writer. I, I don't, I don't, I, like, I'm not crazy about his creative contributions to the Marvel Universe. I think, like, not only did he bring down Black Panther, but he took Storm down, too. So, like, that was a whole, a whole problematic Maybe era. Maybe Stone is a fine artist. Yes. Um, I think that it makes sense for Milestone to be back. Especially in, like, because there is sort of this renewed, right. ongoing discussion. Yeah, if, if Valiant can exist, why not? Why not? No, not, not even Valiant. It's like, okay. There's an ongoing discussion about race, you know, with characters like Robbie Reyes and Kamala Khan and Miles Morales and all of this discussion of, you know, increased racial diversity. In that environment, it makes sense that Milestone comes back, even if they don't have access to the titles that they were known for. They can create. But they new don't characters. have access to these characters, which okay. made them famous, and they don't have access for most of the writers. Which they can made create. Them famous. Well, there's I no mean, reason who, who they can't the... create a new kind of status. Yeah, but right? who? But who's? You know, who will write and who will? Dennis Cohn will draw. Fine. They'll probably be. Well, this is why I'm saying like I would. Reginald Hudlin is probably going to write here. I wouldn't read it. But I don't begrudge its existence as a company because, and and again, like the the reason that I said it's a trap is because, you know, DC may be dumb, but I doubt that they would want to put themselves in a position of saying we are not giving back these African American characters that we're not using to the milestone because they want to use them now. Like it's it. There's a, well, a bit of a PR disaster. Well, even if making. it's a PR disaster. You can sell Icon, you can sell hardware, nobody cares about them. Static was the star of a five-season-long animated TV series, which was connected later to their JLU universe. They're not going to give up Static without, you know, major dollars, which these guys do not have. No. So, and again, if you don't have Static, if you don't have uh, a stable creative team, they they haven't announced anything other than Milestone 2.0, we're back. Okay. I, who's doing this? Who's writing? Who's drawing? Who's doing what? Nothing. So other than good intentions, you have right. nothing. And I respect, I respect these good intentions, but I want to see and hear more before I say, yay, Milestone is back, because it could be Valiant, which, you know, had its revival recently and is doing fine for them, or mm-hmm. it could be, I don't know, again, the new universe, you know, Warner's right. new universal, which was a disaster, mm-hmm. or even worse. The Grant Morrison Wildstorm rebranding, remember? Ooh. Wildcats and a 40, which lasted... Two issues and then... A 40, two issues? What Wildcats? was it called? Worldstorm. Was One... that Worldstorm? No, that was later. Or... Right. No, that was before. 
There was another. You know, the, the Wildstorm has been like one series yeah. of com- you know, calamities. Wildstorm is worse than the Ultimate Universe. It is. It is. It really is. And really, the sad thing so, is that it started so well. But anyway, yeah. that's another discussion. No, it started awfully. It got better in the middle, and then it ended badly because it started. No, Wildstorm started. With no, Wildstorm Ellis started with Stormwatch. no. It started with Jing Lee in Image. That was part of his branding. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you thank forgot. You. No, speaking th- of I, image, yeah. Speaking of okay. image, okay. Exciting news. Uh, image Direct, Image Comics is now offering for the readers in the United States, mm-hmm. continental United States, by the way. Of I don't course. know. Sorry, uh, why? Alaska. I don't know. <laughs> uh, a chance to get their comic books delivered straight to home, and Image will offer a yearly subscription for more than thirty titles. Their most popular ones, Saga, Chu. Mm-hmm. Um, like they're black, lacking in pop- popular yeah. titles. Yeah, and the more you subscribe, subscribe, the higher your percentage of discount will yeah. get. So if you subscribe to all the titles they're offering, you get a thirty thirty-five percent dis- uh, discount or something like that. Mm-hmm. A new challenger approaches. Well, it's interesting for a couple of reasons. The first is with, of which is Image is apparently very much into the print market because Marvel is doing its best to destroy the print market. You know, they're increasing the... Marvel is slowly increasing the price of its comics, hoping that all of the Marvel fans will go to their apps, will go to Comixology, will go to Marvel Universe Online or whatever it's called. I don't credit Marvel with having the intelligence no, to no, do I, something. No, I, no, I credit them with having the viciousness to do it. Viciousness, yes, but yes. You, you need like an amount of foresight. No, no, I think I, they dumb as hell. No, 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 no. The people <laughs> in the in the fiction department are dumb as hell. The accountants, very savvy, <sighs> as always. Okay. Now, so image is apparently very much into the print market. That's a statement. That's like a statement of intentions. We're image. We're not into the digital. Not only. Well, we we want you to read our comics as our comic creators write them. For print. On the one hand, yes, but on the other hand, they were also one of the first companies to offer downloads at Comixology. Yes. So I I wouldn't say that they're not... No, not, not that they're against uh, digital, but they're for the traditional model. Okay. Well, and the traditional model seems to be working for them. Yes, uh, yes. You know, it's... And it's important to remember, because we're here in Israel and we can whine as much as we want, we only have like two comic book stores <laughs> and the U.S. have thousands, but these thousands aren't, you know, equal. You won't right. have... A lot of people in the United States will have to travel hours to end to get to a decent comic book store. Mm. And that's if they're not just, like, ordering the trades off Amazon or whatever. Yeah, so, so if you're the kind of person who wants to get a pool list, if you, if you like the issues as an item, as a thing, and you can't go to the store, you have to pay, you know, outrageous amounts for the nearest store to get the issues and then send them to you. Mm. So image offering them to you is a great idea. Yeah. My question is, if Images offer you a yearly subscription, what does it mean for their lateness issues? Because yeah. for Image, a yearly subscription is often five issues a year. Yeah. And that's it, because they have those huge gaps between every story arc. It's not just the gaps between the story arc, it's the fact that very, very often, I mean, I monitor my, my pull list on a weekly basis, and I'm always noticing that, like, Image will slide issues a week, two weeks, three weeks sometimes. Like I'm talking about like it, not the break between arcs, but the issues of the arc, you know. And I'm not. I mean, Rat Queen's had its troubles. That's, that has yeah. nothing to do with this. But for example, Saga comes out on time, but something like Velvet, right? Velvet number nine has been late now. I think for a, two weeks. Non-player is that image? 
Oh, forget non-player. <laughs> non-player is like, where is Jake Ellis? If you're waiting for that to end, you're going to be waiting for a long time. Where is, where is, where is Jake Ellis? Who cares where Jake Ellis is or when is not? When is where is Jake Ellis <laughs> is the proper question. Yeah, but, but you do raise a very, a very, you know, salient point, which is image have scheduling problems, much more so than DC and Marvel. Usually when DC and Marvel an- announce release dates on the solicitations, that's the date the book will come out. You have exceptions. Well, we remember other we remember different dates. We remember Ultimates and Mark Miller and Brian Hitch. Oh we don't have to we don't have to talk about We Brian remember Hitch. nine months delays as yeah. a regular thing and yeah. you know two issues of Daredevil per fiscal year. <laughs> Hello Joe Quesada. No, that's true. That is absolutely true. But I'm saying like on a broader principle, right? Yeah. Image you, they announce dates on their website, and then you check the same website two weeks later, and it's like, this book was supposed to come out January 15th, it's coming out February 29th. It happens, but it happens with them consistently to the point where if you are making a commitment of, you know, engaging as a comp- competitor to Diamond, then you better step up your game, because if you're telling your customers this book will be out, and here's Are you actually telling me that in order to compete with Diamond, you have to step up your game? Well... Is Diamond's reputation that good? No, but, no. But who like what alternate? Well, Comicsology. I think. I mean, if, I, I say you, this. If you when want to, hundred percent of my comics are digital now. Yes. So I, if you want to compete with Diamond, I think what you need to do is not burn the comics. That would be. Th- good, that's yeah. it. It's like I've got my comics and they are here. Yeah, in, it's, it's so simple. In, in the same. See, I have a look. comic. I give this comic to you. You pay me. We're done. Not Diamond. <laughs> Now that I mean, oh. I have this comic. Oh, I have misplaced this comic. Where <laughs> is it? I do not know. Maybe you'll get it someday. When oh, look, you got it. that comic in pieces. Oh, God. Yeah, so good luck to Image on this. Like, really, if there's a company that can do this sort of thing without having, like, corporate, larger strings attached, it's Image. Good for them. Good luck. Okay. If it succeeds, maybe you know, Boom and Dark Horse will get on that too. Uh, shall we? Shall we talk uh, casting news? TV news. We, Yay! I think we should go through these quickly because we have yes. a lot of stuff to do. Yes. Okay. So we uh, haven't even gotten to the solicitations yeah. yet. So uh, let's go with the casting news first. Well, actually, hang on, hang on. Oh. Before we talk about the casting news, um, just to note that the CW is developing a Vixen animated series. Yes. Which is set... An animated series. It's an, well, yeah. I, like I said, it's an animated series. It's set in the same universe as Arrow and the Flash, which are live-action shows. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, Vixen is Mary McCabe. She's an African superhero who can assume the She has animal of, totem, and she can... She's basically yeah. animal man. Yeah. She can assume the traits of various Pretty animals. much. Like, you know, the strength of an elephant, uh, the speed of a cheetah, whatever. Um... She's been part of the Justice League, I think, for like a good long while now, but she's a C-lister. It's well, she was a major player in the Justice League cartoon when it was running, you know, the Justice League Unlimited. Right. Because when McDuffie was writing it and when McDuffie of loves, course, right. loves him some vixen. And she was played by Gina Torres, which is an ideal casting, oh. both as a voice actress and... Yes, please. Yes, can we have her back as a voice actress? And yes. then in those TV shows, if you actually want someone to play... The vixen. answer to all of those questions is yes. Yes. Yes, we can. Um... Now, I, I'm starting to think that the CW might be learning from past mistakes. Wouldn't that be a thing? <laughs> because it makes sense for Vixen specifically to be animated. I'm thinking, like, her power set is the sort that would require heavy-duty CGI, right? Yeah. If animation would be cheaper in that respect. And if you're tying her into live-action shows, 
I mean, why not? There's no reason why they can't, for example, if they want to cross over, take an actress to play Vixen or even the voice actress of, of yeah. Vixen, have her guest star on Flash or Arrow as Vixen, and then lead viewers back to the animated series. Why and not? Yet, but the thing is, the animated series isn't ongoing. It's eight parts only, as far as... Well, I'm I mean, yeah. as a start. My yeah. guess is they're hedging their bets because she's such an unknown quantity in relation to the characters that have been making the round so far. Yeah. But it's, it's an interesting thing. It's, yeah. It's, the, it's one of the first of these shows that I'll actually sit down and watch, I think. You're not watching The Flash? No, I... You should really be watching I've The Flash. I've watched it, and... I, I caught up with like it. Like you said, CGI... Okay, the CGI is terrible. Yeah. But, and the, I mean, I'll, I'll say this for the writing, and I, I don't usually say this about CW shows. The Flash actually has some good writing. Okay. I mean, miles above Arrow, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk Again, about that Again, praising with faint Dan. Yeah, like, I, call it, <laughs> I realize that that doesn't sound like much of an endorsement. Praising with faint Dan. I mean, it, it's a good show. But, so, uh, casting news. We yeah. have a whole bunch of casting news that came uh, out. Start with the X-Men? Let's start with the X-Men. Why not? So, we have three new old mutants for uh, X-Men Apocalypse. Because is... if you want to talk about confusing history, the the timeline of the X-Men movie universe right now is a disaster. No, zone. no. It's worse than it's the not. comics. It's not. I, 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 because, here's the thing. Tell like, me, which parts of Wolverine origin count? None. Which parts of Wolverine, of the Wolverine count? All of it. Really? Yes. Because he lost his claws at the end of it, and nobody mentioned that in the Days of Future Past. You don't think adamantium is easy to find in 2050? He lost his claws. He lost the bone part. Okay. Bones grow back. He, he, he has a healing factor. He lost his healing factor. No, he got it back. Oh, anyway, well you, well, you didn't see that movie very good. I, I, did. I <laughs> did. It was just terrible. <laughs> it, w- it wasn't a great movie, but it was better than Wolverine Origins, which and again then, is... <laughs> okay. That's, the, that's but, the nicest thing you can say today about things. They're better think, than worse things. I think, like, okay, Days of Future Past had problems. Oh. Yes, they did. But I did manage to sort of follow the internal logic, because what I understood was the reason that uh, we're now going to see younger characters of characters who were there before is because in Days of Future Past, Wolverine basically tells the younger Xavier, you know, there were these kids that you're going to pick up and, you know, find them, but he's looking for them 10 years earlier. So in, like, in the, the very first uh, Singer film, you never see Storm, Cyclops, or Jean Grey in younger forms than they are now. So the assumption is he picked them up pretty much at the ages that they are now. Which also explains why they fight so terribly in the first movie. <laughs> no, Brian Singer direction explained that. That explains. Well, if you're looking for an inverse explanation, that would be one of them. But anyway, um, so now we have like this idea of Wolverine has changed the past by inspiring the younger Xavier to go and find these Look, kids. I, I, and the, the three characters that were cast yes. are um, Sophie Turner, who is best known as Sansa Stark from Game of Thrones. She's going to be Jean Grey. Okay. We'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, Alexandra Shipp, who is currently a Disney actress. She's uh, Aurora Monroe. And Ty Sheridan is Scott Summers. Who is Ty Sheridan? Exactly. Well, to be fair, they cast him in the role that really, like, how hard is it to play Cyclops? Very hard. No, not really. James Marsden got, uh, got away with it and, like... Yeah, he can't act J- for nada. No, James Marsden was perfect for it because he's the he's the you know the indistinguishable Flat as a stone. Yeah, yeah, he's the indistinguishable guy, and that's very hard for actors to do. 
Unless they're teenage actors who can't act anyway. Just slap that Pfizer on his uh, face, tell him to stand there and look sad. It's fine. Scott Summers is not much. Not sad. Cross. Cyclops is always cross. You did not come. <laughs> you did not come to training on time. You were two minutes late. Ten for, demerits. Yeah. No, actually, that was Xavier. Uh, Cyclops no, argued Xavier. against demerits. No, Xavier was the nice guy. Not in Claremont. No, right. I mean, we're going okay. back. Anyway. The, at my most charitable, the most that I can say about these actors is that in the time that they have been on television or in films, they haven't necessarily been given the opportunities to prove that they are capable of playing these roles. Sophie Turner is the best known of the three because Game of Thrones is so high profile, but she spent the last four seasons whimpering and crying all the time. At the, however, that's the fault of George Martin, not her. Like, the part that she's playing is basically, you know, she's she cries a lot. A lot. A lot! That's a good Jean Grey fit, then. Well, no, it's only a good Jean Grey fit if she faints every time she uses her powers. Again, it's too that's much. A, that's, uh-huh. a good, bec- that's a problem with telepaths in, in talk, <laughs> you know, as heroes, because unless you have them say, oh, it's too much, I'm fainting, they shut down every battle in 2.5 seconds. It's yeah. like... This guy's coming for us. Emma Frost... Does Emma Frost faint? I've never seen Emma Frost do no, that. No, she's just too lazy. Not lazy. She She's too busy. You she's know? too refined. Yeah. She's, she's not going to pass just, out. Yeah. Now, Singer isn't Kevin Feige. He's made more than a few casting errors when it comes to this franchise. Uh, I remember when people liked Singer. Well, there were some extra film... Not, yeah, uh, not, not, even, <laughs> not even the... Rumors that were never substantiated... Well, that not, may or may not have affected his yeah, popularity. Not, not even that, but you know, the thing is, he came to the Ekman as one of those serious directors doing comics to give yeah. them legitimacy. No, but we said this last time. Like the, the reason that people remember the first X Men film or, because and the of the time. One, what other alternative did we have? Yeah, and you look at them right now; they're not very good. The best X Men movie is either First Class, I say, or X Men Two. And even these, I wouldn't put on my top ten no. superhero movies. No. I, but maybe even not the top 20. They're not. The whole series. First Class was okay. I mean, they're, they're all lacking something. And I think they're la- they all lack the same thing, whether it's Matthew Vaughn directing or Brian Singer. There's something missing there. and I, I First Class was, the, was probably the best one because it no. wasn't the Wolverine solo movie, which was every other movie. But First Class also had the problem yeah. of introducing these characters who were completely flat. Like Kevin Bacon's version of... Um, you don't even the remember King. Sebastian Shaw. Sebastian Shaw, and I, like I, I remember Sebastian Shaw, but like that wasn't Sebastian Shaw. I think the biggest mistake that it should movie have been made, Mr. Sinister. I think that biggest mistake that movie made was ending with the bad guys. The supposedly bad guys are you know the Rainbow Coalition, and the good guys are the whitest kids. You know, yeah. that was just weird because you know for no reason whatsoever, Angel joins the bad guys, and they're like, and it's, the, <laughs> it's the red guy, the Hispanic woman, the the, the red Russian. Don't forget. The, like, yeah, the Red Russian, the Jew, who maybe is a Romanian in that continuity. I no, no, he's Jewish. Because yes. they, they see him riding a, a menorah. With and his... against them, the New England team. Pretty much. Yeah, so that was... These aren't the good guys in the 21st century. Deeply problematic. The, and, no, not problematic. No, but also, stupid. But also, you know, I get, like, the casting decisions. It, what, was January Jones the best Emma Frost they could have picked? Come on. She filled know. the costume the best, maybe. I don't um, know. Well, Emma Frost is worth more than that. But anyway, so... Uh, I mean, look, Oscar Isaac is playing Apocalypse. 
I legitimately don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> I don't know. After after Louis Davis, I'm in love with that man. He he's, can he's he good. can do everything for he me. He's good, I, but like Apocalypse, I don't know. Hello, come for tea. I will destroy you later. Can you see him saying like you know I am and Sabanur and and all that? I don't I don't know. But anyway, more casting news. Yes. Uh, Melissa Benoit, I'm assuming it's pronounced Benoit, even though yes. there's an S there for reasons that escape me. Anyway, she has been cast as Kara Zorel, as Supergirl, in the new uh, Supergirl? CBS, right? Yes. CBS Sup- uh, series Supergirl, Supergirl TV show. Yeah. Now, Benoit is to date known primarily for a supporting role in a show that offends me as a speaker of the English language, Glee. But, I know her only from Whiplash. But, Glee, the bane of my existence. Okay. Now, I want to be fair about this, though, because... Even though every instinct in me is shrieking to run as far away from anything tangentially Glee-related as possible, Grant Gustin, who plays Barry Allen on The Flash, used to be on Glee. I've seen the YouTube clips. They ain't pretty. But he's doing an okay job as Barry Allen. Not great, but again, like, who are you competing against in the CW? <laughs> um, what, what I'm so... interesting about is that it's called Supergirl, only... They make sure to say she's not a girl in the show. She's cares or well is twenty four. Yeah, it's not a high school drama, and it's good because Melissa Benoit doesn't look like a teenager. She looks mm-hmm. like you know a grown woman, which is fine. Yeah, but like it's so, avoiding that whole trope of casting grown ups as teenagers. Yeah, but you know, so she's Supergirl twenty four. That seems odd for some something that was created as a teenage character. Well, because what's the hook of her? But other is she than a teenage fact? character now? Because I, I, I mean, haven't she, read the recent series, so I wouldn't know. That, that's the thing. Like, she, Kara Zorel, for all that she... Uh, she never had that transition of, like, you know, Barbara Gordon goes from Batgirl to Oracle. Yeah. One assumes that if she... If she if the killing joke had never happened, she might have become Batwoman, right? Because otherwise you're stuck, like, as Batgirl or Supergirl for 40 years. So, has there ever been a Superwoman, like, in, yes, in yeah. continuity? Yes. Um, they, I, the name was, there was used. Earth too. Uh, yeah, the, yeah the name was used, and I think, but she, not like as a title for Kara Zor-El. No, I think so, Lucy Lane was Superwoman for some reason. Who, who did this? Jeff did Johns it? did this, didn't he? Uh, that sounds I, like I, something. I, Jeff I believe Johns it was James Robinson. Uh, of course it was. I believe. I, of course I'm not it was. Sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. I could be mistaken. Anyway, so okay, so she's a little older. That's fine. I, what I didn't understand from the description was. Is this supposed to be like? Is, is she related to Superman? Is there so, a Superman? And if there is, because I, I mean, the unfortunate point of comparison that we have when we talk about Supergirl is the Helen Slater movie from the nineteen eighties, where Faye Dunaway no, no, see, that's was a, standing in front of a magic mirror screaming, "Magic power!" Again, of that's something. a great point of comparison because <laughs> much Supergirl more. couldn't help but succeed. You know, the expectations... It didn't succeed. The bar has... No, Supergirl, the TV show... Oh, the TV show. Well, The bar has been set so low. It's like the new Fantastic Four movie. You know, as bad as it's going to be, and I bet it's going to be bad, it can't be as bad as the team story movies. I don't know if that's true, though, because you remember that there was a Wonder Woman show that fell apart. Yeah. Because it wasn't working, whatever was going on over there. So, I, like, it, it, on the one hand, yes, there's a very low, low bar to pass. But on the other hand, look at how easily it, you people have look, failed that test. Look, uh, the other interesting casting news from yes. Supergirl is that uh, Machad, you say? Mekad Brooks. Mekad Brooks from True Blood uh, will play Jimmy Olsen. Mm-hmm. Now, Mekad Brooks is African-American. I don't care. Look, I've yeah. never seen a black Jimmy Olsen, but I don't see any and reason why wh- we shouldn't have one. And 
the the interesting thing about it, apparently, he's her love interest for that show. Huh? Jimmy, Jimmy also. You know, I'm sitting here now with you, and I'm, in my mind, I'm going back like all the decades that I've read comics. Has Jimmy Olsen ever had a love interest? Yes. Yeah. Who? Lucy Lane. Louis Lane's younger sister, because Jimmy Olsen is really? all about... Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. Really? Yes. Okay. That's a thing that happened. That, that like, beyond Robinson's run, or, or... Yes, yeah, before, before. Because what, like, now the, I'm sitting here it thinking was, about, like... It was the best Ooh. issue of All-Star Superman, you know, the one with Jimmy Olsen as the star role for one issue. Wasn't that the one where he dresses up like a woman? No, no. That one, the one where he turned into uh, Doomsday... To beat up Superman. That was a great, damn it, Morrison. That was a great issue. I Still. loved it. I loved that. Anyway, anyway. So interesting casting. And are you going to watch the show though? Mm, I, I get, I'm not a big fan of live action superhero TV shows, so yeah, I'll probably watch the pilot and then nothing else. I Unless it's I legitimately good. don't know now, if I'd make it that far. Now, Melissa Benoit, I only saw in Whiplash. I never saw Glee, and I thought she was very charming in that. It was a bit role. She was on the movie for like five minutes, mm-hmm. and her role was supposed to be, oh, she's this charming girl, and she was very charming. Mm-hmm. So, that's fine. Uh, another interesting thing is that Mehmet Brooks playing, playing Jimmy Olsen, in the Man of Steel movie, supposedly there was a Jimmy Olsen character, which was Jenna Olsen. They supposed, oh. they, Jimmy Olsen was Wait, cast... Wait, Man of Steel? The movie, yeah. Okay. Jimmy Olsen there was cast as a woman, but then sure. her entire appearance in the movie was, I think, running alongside Perry White. And the whole of the internet oh, was angry no. about, about, you know, oh my god, they changed Jimmy Olsen. Then in the movie, wait, who is Jimmy Olsen? Who is that Jimmy Olsen? Jim was that Olsen? because of the feedback? No, I think it's just they cut, they cut the mm-hmm. role down because the movie ignored the Clark Kent of part of Superman completely, among its other sins. Right. You know, it's many, many. It's things. many other things. So, um, okay, okay. Well, Jimmy Olsen. I mean, I'm thinking now. Like, where have I seen Jimmy Olsen adapted? What small? Well, because even he Smallville was, screwed it up a little bit. Right? He was in Smallville. Yeah. He was in Smallville, but then it turned out that the person we thought was Jimmy Olsen, Olsen wasn't was, actually him. It was his older brother. Yeah, it was. Good. And then his younger brother, who was actually not that. And then, like, well, on top of all that, the actor who played it was Aaron Ashmore and his twin brother had played a villain in like the first season so there was this... really oh yeah that sounds Sean Ashmore before I... what is he up to these days nobody sees uh, well he was horrible in Superman Return they just he was in Superman Return the zoo uh, some guy he was there for like two minutes Jimmy Olsen is a could strange... he have been Jimmy Olsen in Superman Returns who Sean Ashmore I don't know I don't know. Because then, no, so then before Smallville, who was Jimmy Olsen? Like, in the Superman movies, in the original Donner, he was there. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, and he was in Supergirl. Yes. The movie. Okay, well, you know, uh, good luck. Jimmy Olsen is a strange character and one that doesn't really work in modern day unless you play him as the odd duck. Which is weird because photojournalist is, I mean, if anything, reporter is a harder sell as a character yeah. than photojournalist because okay. you can sell. But okay, so okay, good luck. enough with the news. Well, I think... ho, 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 ho. Oh, one really? more thing. What have I forgotten? One more bit of casting. Oh, David Tennant. Oh right, has been cast. Yes, as one of the most disturbing characters in comics, I think. Like, you, he's Howard the Duck. Now that would be even inter- more interesting. No, he's Kilgrave, the Purple Man. For the Jessica Jones, uh, AKA, AKA Jessica Jones, yes. AKA, well, I'm not, I'm not going to say AKA Jessica Jones every time I bring it up. Just deal with it. Um, now, I had no idea that they were going to go with the Purple Man so early. Like, apparently, 
if he's in this Netflix series of Jessica Jones, that means they're pretty much doing all of Alias in one season. The major part, yeah. Because he, he was the main antagonist for the end of Alias. Uh, Casting-wise, um, I can hear the Tumblr girls screaming from here. They love David Tennant because he was Doctor Who. Uh, and he but was he's... apparently also evil and psychotic in the Harry Potter movies in some bit role. But, I mean, I've That's seen him act. Movie... He's good. Yeah, but this role isn't just evil, you know, charming evil. That's the is the worst kind of evil, well, you know. it assumes that Netflix will be adapted. I mean, we're making the assumption that yeah. it's going to be Purple Man in, like, because Bendis took him to a level that I don't think anyone had ever considered, like, you know, Purple it Man was Marvel's way. what first R-rated book they could, yeah. Make, which was basically, well, you can do whatever you want. Well, I want to do this. Yeah, it says a lot about Bendis that that's where he went. Well, with it, but <laughs> at the time, it was very well regarded. I think if it came out today, people would hate it, and the backlash, backlash would be huge. Mm, you know, because know. rape, because rape of female characters. She wasn't raped. Well, this is the gray yeah. area, right? Like the whole thing with Jessica Jones is that he never touched her. Yeah, he just made her wish that he had. It's like it's like Star Fox, who yeah. was a character. Oh, oh with, my god! <laughs> who you know when Dan Slott did the Chiak storyline, and basically everybody agreed. Yeah, we're not gonna touch Star Fox again. It, yeah, he just doesn't work nowadays. Oh my! god. The implications god. of the power just too disturbing. As a villain, yes, and as a hero specifically. Yeah, that was a bit much. But, no, but that you know, Dan Slott just made the point. He didn't you know push it forward. It was like he, it, his story was basically. This is this character that you fondly remember. Think about it. For a second, think yeah. about it. And everybody thought about it, and we never saw Star This Fox is what again. happened with Carol Danvers, too, right? When she gave birth to her own lover. Um, we're not going to get into that. No. But, but, you know, yeah. Like, there are certain unfortunate implications that you don't really think about in the medium. And then, like, Bendis specifically with Alias made Purple Man an incredibly disturbing villain. And really, like, I hadn't... If, even if I had known that Netflix were going with the Purple Man... I would never have guessed David Tennant, but now that they have told me that it's David Tennant, I can't think of anybody else who do it as well, because he has this manic energy that can be, you know, like, channeled to very, like, malevolent perspectives. So, excellent pick. Yeah. Okay. Solicitations! Okay, we'll run through these. We'll run. There aren't really that many uh, things, although there is one item that I've been waiting a very long time to talk about, and we'll get to that. But first, DC... DC. Convergence. Yeah. Moving on. Um, <laughs> I wait, wait. I, I just got to mention, uh, up from the thousands of disposable Convergence miniseries, which I will never care about, there are mm-hmm. two that are worth bringing up. Okay. The first is Shazam by Jeff Parker and Evan Doc Shaner, who recently finished uh, Flash Gordon for Dynamite. Yeah. Great team. I would love to see them do Shazam. I don't care that it's limited. I, in a way, I'm happier that it's limited because if it was an ongoing Shazam miniseries, it would have to tie in to some month zero or some month. Yeah. Some, so now it's tied that. in, but they know it's tying in from the beginning so they can do their story and be done with it. Yeah. And maybe it's because I really like Multiversity Thunder World, so I'm in the mood for some Shazam. It's like, think of it as a, as a prestige one-shot, 48 pages. Right? <laughs> and the next one is to annoy you, mm-hmm. specifically, yeah. uh, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes by Stuart Moore and Gus Storms. They yeah. hired the Egos team okay. to do DC's Egos. Dear Mr. Storms and Mr. Moore, <laughs> if your if Egos misses so much as one issue because you are busy writing this useless ass convergence tie-in crap, I will burn DC to the ground. Leave Image alone. <laughs> 
Stop poaching their people. Uh, Get your own damn hacks. And then the good news, Scythe Warrior's Uh, bodies is wrapped up and collected. That's the miniseries from Vertigo about four different detectives investigating the same crime throughout different time points Mm -hmm. with different artists to every timeline. So we have Dean Emerson, Phil Winslade, uh, Megan Hattrick, and Tula Lotte. I've I've heard heard good things about it. I heard the first issue, which was fine, was basically a mystery setup. I'm very interested. Yeah, me too. Okay, so that's DC. Marvel. Marvel. Okay. You so want to start? I'll start. Um, so this is really only no- noteworthy in the fact that it's confirming what people have been worried about for a while now, which is uh, Uncanny and Humans number zero, written by Charles Soleil, of course. Of course. Of course. The ubiquitous Charles Soleil. And art by Steve McNiven, so uh, we won't have to worry about too many issues coming out. Uh, now, cynics have been talking for months about how Marvel is planning to bring in the Inhumans to replace mutants or overshadow them or whatever. And, of course, Tom Brevard was like, no, you're wrong. You're listening to that man with the beard. Rich Johnston just wants to destroy Marvel. And, like, every time he says that, Marvel announces something that only makes it look more true. It's like that guy from the from the second Iraqi war, Baghdad Bomb. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are no retcons at Marvel, you know, and in the back, you oh. know, and in the back, Rich Johnston is supposed to like, Marvel announces giant retcons. <laughs> We are not dropping the X-Men in the back. Reed Johnson is posting, like, Marvel to drop seven X-Men titles. <laughs> I mean, they're not fooling anyone at this point, And calling it the uncanny in humans is just, like, you know, adding salt to the wound. But, Also, whatever. it's five bucks, so I would... <laughs> yeah. Five no. bucks for a zero issue? No. Kiss my hump. Forget it. Um, okay, interesting. Kanan the Last Bad One is a Star Wars Rebels, the TV show prequel. Mm. I have not watched this. You have not watched this, and you did not care until I told you that the writer for this series is Greg Wiseman. That's the point where it's like, you know, like in Star Trek, Red Alert! Everyone battle stations! Go get Greg it! Greg Wiseman, the creator of Gargoyles and yes. Spectacular Spider-Man and Young Justice, one of the best writer in American TV for children. Mm. For children. Second only to the writers of Avatar The Last Airbender. Okay. Would I mean, be my, but I mean, well, he, well, they wrote Correlator, so he's yeah. free for free. Oh, that's and a good point. He's free for free, and they're one for two. Well, so. he's three for four. He also wrote Young Justice, but anyway. Um, okay, Greg T. Wiseman. This guy is an amazing show writer. He, I mean, Gargoyles. Forget season three and, and all that crap, right? When you look at like the the two season structure, it's plotted. Is it, like the plotting is so complex and so interesting. It's a PG-13 Vertigo comic. It's. Fa- I mean, how of how many Disney shows for children had explicit Shakespeare references? Not, and I mean, not like, just reference. The major plot points of Gargoyles, Gargoyles was Macbeth. Yeah. The actual Macbeth and the Midsummer Night's Dream and yeah. and, and all of that. It was a phenomenal show. And really, Wiseman in in later years has showrun other series. And he's done a good job with it. Yeah. So, so, like, I, I've been hearing mixed reviews about Rebels because it's very much in that period of the Star Wars timeline that doesn't interest me so much because you have to acknowledge that the prequels happened, and I'd rather not. Mm. But, um, but I might. I mean, Wiseman, I will check it out. Rebels, it, like, it's sort of like the knock-on effect, right? Yeah. Because, like, if if I read this comic, I'll want to watch the show too. Maybe. 
No, I mean, like, for why Jim. would you read a tie-in comic if you're not watching the show? For Greg Wiseman. For Greg Wiseman. Yeah, for good... Greg Wiseman! Oh, no, there's a war cry. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Secret that Avengers 15. Is ending. Is, okay, final issue. Now, they're calling it a natural conclusion to the series. Natural rage. Presumably because they don't want Alice Coat fans to storm their offices with, like, pitchforks and torches. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if a lot more books reach quote-unquote natural conclusions before Secret Wars. Um, hey, he's still doing zero. Yeah. You know, screw it. Okay, speaking of sad, 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 sad news. X-Men, Avengers, Onslaught Omnibus. I have been waiting hardcover, for two weeks to hear you talk $125, a collection of yes. the ungodly... Horribly written, terribly conceived, awfully executed, made in sin, created Let it out. Let it all out. Crossover that nearly ripped the Marvel Universe apart. I mean, if you think Secret Wars is going to be bad, I do. boy, you have not been there. <laughs> it's boy. like they're putting out the train And these are the show. first Marvel comics that I've read, because when Marvel was translated to Hebrew in the 1990s, that was their starting point. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, boy. Um, and again, it was very good for me. You know why? Because my taste was so terrible that everything was good. <laughs> After that, everything was great. And uh, I didn't knew it. I was like, oh, these are comics. I like yeah, superhero comics. And when I actually read actual superhero comics by actual writers... yeah. The- and here's the thing. If you look at the creative team, you know, team, a lot of it is crap. But, you know, look at the artists. You have Val Samkis, Steve Scors, uh, Steve Epting, Andy Kubert, you know, <clears throat> Micah Smiller, Adam Kubert, Joe Bennett, Jeff Matsuda. You think, oh, that's a great list of, of creators. And what they did was terrible. And it's not their fault. It's not anybody's fault but the accountants at Marvel who decided... No, I mean, it's the the story behind the there failure is of no Onslaught. Story. Is well, no, the story behind the failure of Onslaught yeah. is well known. Like, everybody knows how it went wrong. You know, there are stories that uh, Bob Harris at the time... Was it Bob Harris? I think it was. Uh, probably. He, <laughs> likely. <laughs> likely. He was, like, he was basically telling people... Mention Onslaught in your comics, even though no one knew, knew who Onslaught was at the time. It was just sort of like this, he's a crime lord, he's a this, he's a that. By the time they figured out what it was, and then like it, it just it, it just went straight to hell. And, and, okay, Onslaught exists, again, it's a scam. Don't poke at it. Yeah. Why? Well, Why would anybody pay 125 American dollars for Onslaught? Have you seen what this trade contains? Like, let me just... To sort of uh, read it down. So basically, there are four issues of Cable, uh, four issues of Uncanny X-Men, three issues of X-Force, then there's like singular issues of Fantastic Four, Incredible Hulk, X-Factor, Wolverine, Amazing Spider-Man, Green Goblin, Spider-Man, Iron Man, Punisher, Thor, X-Men, Road to Onslaught, Excalibur, Fantastic Four again... Wow, look, that is certainly look, a, a, a large swath of nothing. <laughs> look, <laughs> if you really want to buy it, buy a brick. Just buy a brick, and you know, print out the wrapping from the, the wrapping image and wrap it around the brick. It's just <laughs> as useful, and a brick is far more readable and interesting <laughs> than the bloody. Also, why? Why would you? Why would you? You know it? why? You know why? Who would buy this? Do you know who would buy this? Who? People who did not like Axis and think. It could not have been worse. No. And he's like, well, here is the trade that proves that at least we're doing better than we used to. Okay. You know, <laughs> we all spend our money on things that are 
we better not. You know, we all could have given to charity a little more. But <laughs> if you were actually, if you have $125, give it to our Patreon. It's that part. Yes. That's you know, more if, useful use of If you buy Ancelot, you are wrong. Bad. You're a bad person. Speaking of baffling initiatives at Marvel... Okay. So there's something called True Believers, which are $1 imprint... Uh, $1 reprints, I should say. <laughs> imprints, The $1 imprint? The $1 imprint? I wish. That's a great idea. Wouldn't that be like... Uto- that's Utopia right there. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, $1 reprints of uh, issues that are meant as jumping on points for people who want to start reading Marvel comics, which would be effective, except they are offering, uh, as a small sample, Age of Apocalypse number one. Uh, Civil War number one, House of M number one, and I'm just imagining someone who doesn't know Marvel picking up Civil War number one and being like, for a dollar. And then, of course, you have to get the remaining issues, which the only way you could really get that would be by trade now, right? Well, you know, that's... Civil War was seven years ago. Yeah. Eight years ago. Well, that's the point of, you know, one dollar issues. It's just, it's, okay. You wouldn't look, start there. Look, look. I think Civil War is horrible. I've written, you know, a long... <laughs> we've talked about yeah, it, yeah. We've talked about it. We've written about it on the interwebs and in other places. Mm-hmm. But there's a Captain America Civil War movie announced. They would be fools not to publish Civil War number one. Fools. I'm sorry. I understand this. I hate no. this. I understand this completely. No, because this is the thing. I actually think, like, on the on completely, like, the opposite approach here, because... You would not want to publish Civil War as a companion piece or prequel or like, you know, a comparative literature to the film because, my God, like... The, the, yes, you will because... No, you would not want to read Civil War and then expect that Robert Downey Jr.'s character will be like the Iron Man who appears in Civil Look, War because... I, I wow. don't, you don't, but you and I both join forums with a younger readers and young readers... Right now, on the internet, are complaining because the movie is not, will not be similar enough to the comics. Well, they think stupid. that. Well, yeah, but they're wrong. They're the audience. Anyway, um, there are a few <sighs> other. Do you have okay. anything else from Marvel? Um, anything else? Oh well, if I mentioned a horrible omnibus, a better omnibus. Uh, Powers Volume One, the whole thirty-seven issues oh. collected. Okay, yeah. 125 bucks, expensive, but 37 mm-hmm. issues. We'll Perfectly talk about fine. Powers uh, yeah. shortly, but um, that's a good deal. If you have not read Powers yet, that's a good jumping on and jumping off point. Yeah. It, <laughs> I mean, that's really, like, the nice thing about the first volume is it's completely self-contained. Yeah. So, good. Uh, there are a few disposable Marvel uh, Avengers projects that I would advise people to avoid. Mike Costa's Millennium, Al Ewing's Ultron Forever, oh, blah, it's Al blah, Ewing. Blah, I blah, like blah. Al Ewing. I, I, I like Al Ewing, too. I wish he would write books that I'd be willing to read. Because, you know, okay. Ultron Forever. No, thank you. Uh, There's something that did interest me. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, best story ever. Why would that interest you? Because it's written by Tim Seeley. And art by Jacopo Camani and Ivan Coelho. I don't, like, it wasn't clear from the solicitation if this is a miniseries or it's an a ongoing. Shot. It's a one-shot. Oh, a one-shot. It's just a one- That's Great. weird. Why? Seely's funny. Do we really need another Guardian series? Seely, it, before it's not a series. If it's a one-shot, Seely, like, I, I like his sense of humor. Um, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy certainly tends to do better when it's funny as opposed to when it's being written as, like, certain people that we will not be mentioning. Um, we will be mentioning them shortly. Yes, we will. And one other thing, uh, I when we were talking about the previews a couple of months back, I mentioned that G Willow Wilson was taking over X Men. Yes, and I was really excited for it. Sadly, it's a 
<laughs> she's only doing four issues. Oh. So she, her, X-Men 26, which comes out in April, is her last issue. She had this interview with um, with uh, Rachel Edden and Miles Stokes on uh, Rachel and Miles Explain the X-Men, where she was basically saying, you know, because it was only four issues, she couldn't really go crazy the way she normally would. Uh, which is disappointing, but I'd say, you know, X-Men 26, Secret Wars. just jump off afterwards, who needs it? I think it's the end of X-Men as a series, because it doesn't sell anything. X-Men? Oh, yeah, the, oh the X-Men. I thought you meant, like, all the X-Men. The, the untitled X-Men. The untitled X-Men. Yeah. Well, no, because, you know, it, it, it started out with the angle of the all-female book, but I think somehow it ended up turning into Astonishing X-Men as, like, the anthology title, yeah. where people just, they jump on, they jump off, they jump on, they jump Image. off. Image. Okay, now, because the first Image title I want to mention is not Image, it's Image. Because Mark Miller is doing <laughs> Jupiter's Circle number one, which is a prequel for Jupiter's Legacy without the good part of Jupiter's Legacy. There was a good that, part of Jupiter's Legacy? Yes, it was drawn by Frank White. But Jupiter's uh, Circle is drawn by somebody called Wilfredo Torres. Now, I don't know him. He's probably good because Mark Miller, if nothing else, is a good collector of artists. Mm-hmm. He's always... Okay, it's a prequel for a series that is not yet finished. We were promised 12 issues of Jupiter's Circle, mm. and they released five over the last three years because Frank Whiteley. Mm. I think we may have found the solution for the containment of Mark Miller. Give him art, you know, if, like his next artist should be Brian Hitch. Yes. Wouldn't that be nice? Yes. And he should co-write, he should co-write a series with Damon Lindelof. That'll be good. Put out three issues and then leave us alone for a couple of years. Oh, God. Anyway. So, um, sorry. Okay, I, good I, things, good things. Okay, so it turns out that a lot of the books that we mentioned last ep- episode uh, from the Image Expo are coming out a lot sooner than we thought. Um, right now. No, yeah, in April, we have, so we have Savior, Kaptara, Run, Love, Kill, and No Mercy. If you're curious to hear what we thought about these, uh, uh, see our episode. previous episode. Um, they're all debuting in April, which, good. I mean, good. It, as opposed to the previous Image Expo, it does seem that they're making more of an we effort. We still don't to... get Adolf's, and every month he's <laughs> coming like, Brenda, 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 where are you? Now, here's a book that was not announced at the Expo, and I don't know why for the life of me, because Pisces Number 1 is written by Curtis J. Weeb, art by Johnny Christmas, described as a sci-fi psychological body horror series from the writer of Rat Queens and the artist of Sheltered. Yes, please. Thank you. How did I not know this was coming? Pleasurable. Yes, why not? And we should probably mention Legacy of Luther's Road number one. Yeah. It's the first issue of the concluding miniseries in the Luther's Road uh, trilogy, which mm-hmm. started really well with the Strange Souls of Luther's Road and then continued not so well with, yeah. I don't even remember the name of the second mini, the horrible bloodbath of Luther's Road. Most likely. Look, uh, it's Justin Tread- Jordan. Yeah, Justin Jordan writing, and he's always okay. Treadmore drawing, and I love... If you want head-exploding action, literally <laughs> head-exploding, that's Treadmore. That's what he's here for. You know, kinetic kinetic shit goes boom. Yeah. Uh, Dark Horse? Dark Horse. Okay, so this is a very interesting four-part miniseries. The, the best miniseries of 2015. By right Alex DeCampi and Fernando Ruiz. I don't think I can say the title without laughing. Do you want to try? Art. <laughs> yeah. It's Archie versus Predator, number one, of course. Wow, four. this is happening. This is a, they have announced it, and it's happening. It was, you know, not a joke, not an imaginary story, not, not a, a dream. hoax, not <laughs> a dream. Wow. From the um, writer of Grindhouse and My Little Pony, the best combination, <laughs> it's the best combination for Archie versus the Predator. It's the two halves. 
I guess after Afterlife with Archie, all bets were off, but does this mean Sabrina will be fighting aliens, or... <laughs> no, uh, she will be fighting one of the red gods, obviously. Of course. Of course. Um, one of Richard Corbin's horrors. Well, listen, good luck to Alex Zekan. No, 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 no. We, 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 reviewed, uh, we reviewed that thing, uh, Colder, right? Was yeah. Was that Dark Horse? Yeah. Sabrina versus Colder. Right there. Oh, my God. Money in the bank. You can thank me later, Dark Horse wow. and Archie. That's a thing. That's a thing that will um, happen. <laughs> Jeff Parker writing Sabrina. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess if you were a predator purist, if such creatures exist in the world, you no, might argue not. that this sort of dilutes the predator. But then again... No. There, there is nothing that can... Please, we it. After Aliens vs. Predator movies, nothing can dilute the predator. Right. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. tell me. Uh, Rebels number one. And you were just saying that it hadn't been announced yes. yet. Quick, Tom, give me the name of another unreleased comic. It'll come out. Say it. Non-player number three. There you go. Orkstein number eight. From your lips to the publisher's ears. Um, Rebels. Brian Wood and... No, the thing is, I thought it wasn't coming because I mistook it for an image comic. I got confused. It's It was announced as a Dark Horse comics, so it actually comes out. Rebels mm-hmm. by Brian Wood and Andrea Muti, mm-hmm. which is about uh, the non-continental army during the U.S. War of Independence. Right. So it's like the Patriots with Mel Gibson, only not as bad, hopefully. Well... When they don't I'm, have Mel Gibson, it's automatically better, right? Um, I like Brian Wood in historical in his historical setting because I like Northlanders. Uh-huh. I don't really like him when he's going all political because he's usually an angry young man ranting. Because uh, what was his yeah. first comic called? Uh, Channel no Channel Zero. Channel Oh my god! Uh, Channel Zero was. You know, and I could not, not have felt more preached to if I were sitting in a and, church and, with a priest and shaking at his one finger point, at me. There was one of the main characters saying something about how Mao Zedong wasn't so bad. You oh know, God. when you think about it, and I was, is this a parody? <laughs> is this meant to be a parody of an angry young man? Because Sherman uh, no. Mao, the murderer of millions, yeah. not so bad. I, Compared to it, who? It was the it was the one book that I bought, reached the middle, and returned it to the store. Yeah. Never did it. I can completely understand Never did that. it. Even though I had the promise of a Becky Cloonan art in the last po- in the latter part. Even that... Sometimes even Becky Cloonan yeah. isn't enough. I'm sorry. Like, you know, there are certain scenarios in which I just... You can't. But I'm, hope, I'm hoping for the good uh, Brian Wood here. Good luck. Yeah. He seems to be a lot more uneven than, than most writers, I have to say. Yeah. I mean, I... I really enjoyed Local, for example. I yeah, really Local was great. But then, immediately after that, I read the New York Four, and it was not even close. No. So, yeah. one one other item uh, from Boom, okay. which interested me specifically because uh, the ending for Mimetic blew me away. So, James Tinian IV has another miniseries called, well, this is either Ufology or UFOlogy. Um, I'm not quite sure how that works. But anyway, art by Matt Fox. Sure, more Tinian. Uh, if we're talking about Boom, I just got to mention one sure. thing. The Realist, uh, written and drawn by Asaf Hanukkah. It's a collection of his strips translated to English. Asaf Hanukkah is a very talented Israeli cartoonist who oh. does weekly strips at the end of the Kalkalis newspaper. Very well regarded, very funny, very right. very incisive, very good. good so if you've never And at Boom, no less. Yeah, so, you know, go for it. Mm-hmm. So these are the solicits, I think. Yep. Yeah. 
Well, we we did a fest. We did run we did, through the... Well, there, to be fair, April seems to be a period where... Oh! Like, you have Convergence and you have Super Wait, wait, wait. I almost forgot. I've what? written it. You know, I highlighted it. I forgot about it. What? From Oni Press. Oh, okay. A new and going mini by Xander Cannon. Yes, M. sir. Keiju Max. Yes. A prison for giant monsters. I want it. Now. I want, I want don't it want right it. now. It's $4 and I'm already... You know, I've already told my comic book store... I it's, want this. I want this physically. It's Xander Cannon. Monsters. I want it. Give it to me. Yes. Um. Whew. We don't pay Oni Press enough attention, but that's because Oni, that's only because like they never. Well, Oni has been Image before Image was Image. But what are they now? Is what I'm wondering. They're not Image. Like. They're, well, they're, they're pro- not prominent enough. Because they haven't had a big hit like you know Queen and Country or Scott Pilgrim for a good long while. Yeah. Uh, I guess six guns, but that mm. I, you know, people really like it. I never got into it, but yeah. you know, fine. It, it didn't get a lot of attention. Is, no, is also the issue. But oh well, maybe uh, next time, Oni. Maybe well, now that we've said that, <laughs> Oni will step out the game again, like IDW did last time. Again, KJ Max. That's that's a good stepping go. out, you know, into the game, out of the game, what have well, you. Well, good for Xander Cannon. I, I haven't seen a lot of him since he did Heck. Yeah. So you know, or uh, not have no, yeah, oh, double barrel, double barrel. Well, that and, was that's a, over now. Yeah, but that was a you know, th- th- these were long, long comics, double barrel. Yeah, and cheap too. Reviews. Uh, shall we start with Marvel? Yes, I'm not taking the blame for this one. You picked it, so you uh, start. Blame? <laughs> I. You're very negative right out of the gate. Uh, well, Powers number one by Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Evan Oming. This is the it's two thousand third. It's t- the third volume. Fifth. Fifth? Well, are we counting? Are we counting Powers Bureau yes, as a volume? A separate, well, it has to be a separate because it's. I always kind of this Powers Vol- Bureau Volume One, whatever. No, but it's not a spin-off. Okay. It's a continuation of. Anyway, oh, nice. so this is basically Volume Five in fifteen years. Yes. Oh well, which um, is not is not it's not as bad as a lot of other Marvel series. In fifteen years, yes. Who has been rebooted fifteen years, fifteen times? Like, in Marvel, who? everybody. How many vo- mo- volumes does Moon Knight have? Punisher. Wait, but when you're talking about Moon Knight volumes, his first one was what, 1970 what? Yeah, but he's now at volume 7, and 6 of them have been over the last 10 years. <laughs> well, anyway. Okay. So the volume number isn't the problem here. Yes. But okay, so you, um, you so, brought it up. Uh, Powers, in case you don't know, they just restarted it because there's a TV show coming out. Mm-hmm. It's about cops in a superhero world in the Powers Division, which is a division that in charge of investigating superpowers. Now, at this point, there is... A, a long and convoluted history for all of the main characters. Um, you know, we dis- we discovered Christian's uh, Walker history throughout the first volume, well, and Dina Pilgrim had her own, you know, dark shadows in the background. And I haven't read volume two, three, so I understood that there a lot of strange stuff went around. So I, th- this is interesting. I think that you and I both have the same gap in our knowledge. I stopped reading after the first arc of volume two. Yeah. I, when did you, like, when did I you drop I, off powers? See, I've, I've only really read the first two hardcovers, and then I, I was like, oh, I want to read this more, and I didn't have the money, so I dropped it off. And I know what happened because of, you know, friends and Wikipedia. I know what happened right. in Forever. Right. But that's it. I never, see, that's the thing I didn't catch up. Like, I read up to the end of Forever, then it was rebooted when they moved to Icon. Yeah. And I read the first arc, and I was like, eh, I'm done. So, okay. So, I don't know, like, I don't know anything that's been going on from the end of that to now. This I... is a comic that would benefit from a previously page. Would it? Well, I think it would. If okay. Because 
I know what happened because I've read it on Wikipedia, which is not a good thing to do. I know, for instance, that Dina Pilgrim had superpowers for a while and gone berserk or something. Say what? I think that's what happened. Oh my god. That's why she... And apparently now she's... It's back to origin, so she's now back in the force. No bureau, no superpowers. And she's investigating crime, which happened on a boat. On a boat. On a boat. Yes, yes. I have to say it. It's by law. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't really meet Kristen Walker throughout the issue, so Mm -hmm. it's just, you know, there's a mystery, and she has to investigate it. And it's very... The first issue of Powers, only not as good. The first issue of the first volume of Powers. And I think a lot of it is the shine has come off of powers because the shine have come off of Brian Michael Bendis. At the time, that was the biggest shift in mainstream comics you could imagine. I remember people... We talked about it. Yeah, people exploded over powers. Mm -hmm. And rightfully so. And the problem with this kind of thing that it was a novelty and as time wore on and on and on... You know, you can only get something like this in very small doses. People talk about Brian Michael Bendis aping David Mamet, and David Mamet works because David Mamet, you know, we have a movie every two, three years and a play every year. That's it. You don't have to see David Mamet every single month. That oh was, my God. Unless you actually watch the new. Unless you're a sadist. Unless you watch the unit. Even then. Yeah, yeah that, Even was, the that wasn't a good show. <clears throat> and I like David Mamet, you know, as a filmmaker, as a writer. I just don't want to see him all the time. And that's the bandit's problem. He His style was so specific that he couldn't adapt it. But here we are, uh, you know, 15 years later, new powers. It's not bad. I would say this, you know, it's very, very competent and nothing more. And what can you say about an issue like that? There's a mystery involving superpowers and the last pages are revealed that's so obviously telegraphed. Yeah. You know, who is this person? I know who's this person. No, if, but the end page is not meant to be, like... The reveal is more what, shocking for what what it implies than what, like, you know who you're looking I at. I think what it implies would be obvious if you read the previous volumes. That's why I think... I don't know what, what was the situation of these characters before. So... Right. If I'm meant to be surprised, I'm not sure why. So I had a, a different context coming into this, but okay. not by much. Okay. Because what happened... I didn't even do the research. I went into this blind with my last memory of powers having been, like, you know, 14, 13 years ago <laughs> uh, at the end of the, the Retro World comeback. So I'm reading this, and credit where it's due, Bendis does seem to have slightly more control over his dialogue ticks. There's none of that repetition of what, 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 yes, no, what, yes, no, it, it doesn't happen. It's very wordy. It's still very decompressed. Really, I mean, you're right. Not a lot actually happens here. Uh, he does. Uh, he, he became aware of his own problems because when you have the classic Bandis double page spread of faces, he puts it as actual, you know, picture on the wall. It's right. like Bandis is mocking himself now. Yeah, and also, I mean, shout out to to uh, Michael Ivan mm-hmm. Amling for for the the in jokes that you have here, like. Hellboy turns up in one panel. Yeah. In the next two-page spread after that, you have this woman standing in the middle of I, the of the police station going, how can it be a secret war if everyone knows about it? See, the thing is about Avon Elming, something didn't feel right about the art here. And it's I, changed. It has changed a bit since the, the first art. And it's less cartoony in the figures, but the head are still cartoonishly large, and it feels yeah. wrong. No, I, I actually I like, like it more this way. Like, uh, there's, it's really? more... 
it feels more detailed than when he started out. Because originally, like for example, uh, when he would show a character's eyes, it would usually just be like, you know, if they had black eyes, it would just be like this black circle in their eyes. And here, like, you know, he brings out the irises. And it's like a little more detail. I I don't think it works because the heads disturb me. (laughs) The heads are... It's it's The heads are... Yeah, it's cartoonish. It's cartoonish heads on a realistic figure. You know, Christian, I wouldn't call their well, figures real, realistic. more realistic. I know. mean, a detective Sunrise, uh, the Dina's partner. Yeah, uh, she has a neck the size of a pencil. You know, you know <laughs> I mean, but come on. It's because uh, the the big heads work because they had big bodies. You know, Christian Walker originally was a you know giant of a man, and it, he still is. Yeah, but I don't know the art. It's not bad. It's just. It feels wrong. My, Maybe if I've read his evolution as an artist, that might I would be, be more comfortable. It. It's like, but for me, it's again my fault. You know, jumping on from Powers Volume One straight to here, and I'm like, oh, listen, what is an, this? No, no, it's a number one. So <laughs> you know, you're allowed to have that. No, no, but you jump back on. And no, it's, like, it's again, it's my problem as a reader because I've read. You know, it's not. I'm not a new reader because I've read vol- Volume One, and I'm not a dedicated reader because I've read nothing else but Volume Right. Um. Look, if you're a Powers fan, you know... Well, this this is exactly my dilemma. Like, to say that not a lot happens, it's a Bendis comic. What were you expecting? And even without the, the repetitious dialogue, you know, there's not a lot here. You have the beginning of an, of, a, of an investigation into this mass murder that Dina's looking into. You have this last page revelation with Walker, which is clearly meant to be... It's that, you know, we talked about Bendis having a limited repertoire. This is the thing that he does where he, there's a time jump... And it ends with, like, this last-minute revelation. And I guarantee you that somewhere in this opening arc is going to be a flashback explaining how he got to this point. That's just how he do, and that's fine. But my what I came to this book with was the question of, is this particular issue enough to get me to want to read Powers again? Like, could I continue reading? Because I don't feel that I have to go back. I mean, the, the, the way that the characters are presented here... And again, like it is to Bendis's credit, you don't feel like there's this huge gap, and that they're yeah. talking about things that you it's don't know. It's a good. It could be. I a, didn't know it's who a good the first, Sunrise Woman. Yeah, is. it's a good first issue as an introduction to the yeah. concept, the cast, and the characters. Right. It's professional. Yes, it's like you could start reading with this issue, but for lapsed readers, it's more of a question of, you know, there are reasons we drop this book. Are those reasons still in play? And I, I don't have an answer. Be like, I'm not going to keep reading this because I'm not convinced yeah. that like, I'm not interested. five issues from now or six issues from now, I'm going to be in the same place that I was in volume I'm two. I'm not interested enough in the world or the mystery. And I think you're right. Powers probably should have wrapped up after volume one. It it was, you know... It still stands alone perfectly no, well. Yeah, and it could have been remembered as one of those one of the greats. Mm-hmm. And now it's one of, one of those that carries on. Because, I mean, it's The Walking Dead. It's the flip side of, you know, when you give Brian Michael Bendis too much freedom to do whatever he likes, he is not a person who knows how to restrain himself, creatively speaking, in the sense that, you know, no, Brian, you cannot have a story that goes on for 40 issues without explaining what it's going on. And no, Brian, you can't do this thing because readers aren't going to want to pay $4, $5, however much this issue is, for, you know... Bare minimum, con- it's the content does not justify the price tag, mm-hmm. and it never will with a Brian Bendis comic. Like not unless he goes through some kind of head or trauma. you buy it in digital for even if, no no if if it drops if you get it down, on sale yeah fine fine but 
Okay. It's like, it's, and, and it bothers me because, like you said, it's competently written. It's not bad. There are no things here that I, like, deeply objected to. You're angry because you can't mock it. I, well, I'm sure if I wanted to, I could. Yeah. But, <laughs> no, but, I mean, it just, it, it evokes apathy. Well, if you want to mock something... Okay, uh, our next number one. Hang on, let me let me meditate for a little bit. I need to like you know get my chakras aligned. Here we go. The yes. Dying and the Dead, number mm-hmm. one, uh, written by Jonathan Hickman, uh, with art by uh, Ryan Budian, who did Red Mask for Mars with Hickman. Yeah. And I think Hickman is fitting coming after Bendis because Hickman is the new Bendis. I, I mean, feel like Maleficent right now. Like, and well, I well, I was there. Because I, I wasn't there for the uh, Bendis, you know, first wave. I came into comics a bit later. Oh, you're lucky. So I, No, because I came in hearing about this great guy, Bendis. I was here when Hickman came up. You know, I've read Nighty News, and I was, like, blown away. Mm. And, and now the time has come, and there's a new series. And I still kind of like Hickman on East of West. And I dropped off uh, Manhattan Projects, and I dropped off Avengers, and this one I'm not even going to start. So, The Dying and the Dead, <laughs> it's, you know, it's 64 pages. Yes, it is. For, what, $5? So, you know, value for money, at least. Well, Trying. I guess that depends on what you get yeah, out Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of pages, there's little content. 64, I think, like, 64 pages. Past page 20... I realized that I was neither going to care nor understand anything. And most anything of the pages are two or three panels each. That's it. It's very, you know, the, okay, okay, the plot. Uh, Good luck with that. <laughs> no, no, because Go ahead. he described it in previews as, you know, the old heroes having one last ride. And that's it. You know, there's this guy who used to be a warrior or something. He's called the colonel, so mm-hmm. obviously. And his wife has cancer because, you know, wives have cancer in these kind of stories. So he's forced to take on one last mission on the behest of the secret people of the lost city, one or another. Mm-hmm. And there's this mystic object which was kidnapped by, I don't know, the Hitler twins? Some evil cloning experiment, whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And this whole issue is a setup for that plot, which should have been explained in the first three with pages. A, with a framing sequence that has no relevance whatsoever to anything. Well, it's... No, no, no. It's sequence, so it's gonna and have narrative relevance. captions that go on and on and on about death and <sighs> dying and life and death and dying okay. and life okay. and death and choices. Now, yeah. And choices. And you have choices, Tom. You have... We all have choices. The okay. choices of living and dying okay. and dying and living and dying and living and dying and living living dying and die living and die hard. Die Hard with a Vengeance, <laughs> and all of that. You have choices. <laughs> we all have choices. You talked about... And the choices can be blue, or they can be red, or, you know, they can be a dead twin or a living twin. You have all of these choices. Life. Die. Choices. Dying. Okay. Screw you, Jonathan Hickman. That's the review. I don't have time for this. No, I mean, listen, this is a double-sized issue. Triple-sized, 64 pages, triple-sized. I don't understand. And, like, you brought up the Manhattan Project, right? 
You know, you know what? Say what you will about the quality of Hickman's writing. You cannot say that he is not consistent. Because I swear, I had the exact same problem what? with this book that Manhattan Projects. I, Manhattan Projects, I'm reading this thing like, which Oppenheimer is this? I don't understand. What? You are flashing back to all... Who? Who is what? this person that just came in here? What is going on? Why are there aliens? Are you Einstein or not? Uh, who? who Manhattan Project's first issue was very simple. No, it was, it was not. It was built on a simple twist. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. No, it wasn't. Which uh, which yeah. Oppenheimer was which? Which which? The cannibalistic one, but we're not talking about Manhattan Projects. Okay. But it's the same... No, because it's the same problem. Because you start reading this... The issue begins with this frame sequence of a wedding, and like it goes on and on and on and yes. on, and they're having the wedding night, and then these people show up, and then they come to steal the object, and then they're twins, and then somebody shoots someone... See, uh, you don't, did she shoot her twin, or did yes. they change clothes? Because she said, it's your choice, not mine, and then, and then all of that gets like set aside... And and then we have the colonel who has like this guy in a white coat who takes him on the longest limousine ride ever written in a comic book ever. And they're in the limousine and he's like, do you want to drink? I don't want to drink. Well, you know you have the choices of do you want to drink or not. And if you choose to have a drink, then you are alive. And if you're dying when you're dead, then you're not dying when you're not dead. And the undead are walking around in Minnesota. And I don't even know. It's a, it, This was like some Matrix regurgitated BS, okay? This was like, do you want to know the secret truth of the world or take the blue pill or the red pill? I don't. No, and it, and I don't care, like, the, the larger, like, I could work through mystery. I can work through complicated worlds. I can work through unclear narration and unreliable narration and trying to figure out what these people are doing. I can deal with all of that if I have a reason to care. This colonel, what do I care that his wife has cancer? That's sad. Uh, he he doesn't exist as a person, and this was like I read the first trade, the first two trades of the Manhattan Project. This was exactly the problem. Yes, uh, there's a city of the dead uh, in in uh, the Dang of the Dead. I'm talking about. Look, there's a city and a secret society, and they have the, the apple of life. Blah 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 blah. And in the Manhattan Project, it was Einstein has built a portal, and maybe he's been replaced. But you don't care about the characters because Hickman does not know how to write characters that you want to find out more about. This colonel is what? Yes. Name me one character trait that turns up in this thing other than the fact that he loves his wife. Like, what do you know about him? It's 64 pages. 64 pages. Or the 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 woman who kills her quote-unquote sister, right? Nazi clone Barbarella, whatever the hell she is. And it's like, who... What? Who are these people? Why should you care about anything that goes on over there? And he ha the, the colonel has this whole long-winded 20-page discussion with the priestess of this city. And she keeps talking about how she was there from the fall of Rome. And he's like, the city was on fire. And she's like, you're lying. And he's like, no, the city was on fire. And then some bald guy shows up and he's like, no, the city really was on fire. Remind me of that scene from Spider-Man 3 when Alfred comes out of the Batcave to tell her, um... Harry Osborne, by the way, your father was a psychopath. You really should listen to what this guy is saying. It's like, are you kidding me? What is this? I get to the end and I'm like, I not only do I not want to read another issue, but so help me God, Jonathan Hickman, we are done. I am never, ever, ever picking up another Jonathan Hickman book. Because even in the situations where he is writing mainstream superheroes and some kind of editorial authority is hovering over his head saying, No, Jonathan, Spider-Man cannot have a 500-page conversation with Madam Web about the nature of the multiverse and whether or not she wipes her butt every morning when she wakes up. No, you cannot have that conversation. 
No, we are not going to talk about whether or not wolves really did create Wolverine and Sabretooth, and whether blonde wolves and black wolves are supposed to fight forever. We're not going to talk about that. No. And there's just like, he just goes on and on and on. It's, it, it was excruciating. I do not exaggerate when I say this was like Chinese water torture. You just sit there going, get to the point, Jonathan. Get to the point. And he never does. There is no point. You're dying and then you're dead. The end. Wow, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Clearly, I had a lot of aggression that it was, and you know what? After that entire conversation, I can honestly say, I don't hate Jonathan Hickman. I just don't have time for him. So the dead and the dead. <laughs> they did. Moving six, on. Six out of ten. <laughs> minus, your opinion? Minus six out of ten. Listen, when you're dead, you're buried. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Twelve feet under, right? You start digging, and after six feet, you keep going because you want to make sure. Well, I cannot... <laughs> I, I had some words, oh. but I cannot speak now. <laughs> you took up all the air out of the room, Sean. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. You have an open from. window, and now there's a vacuum outside. <laughs> I don't know. I mean... Because it's so frustrating. You know, you... He keeps getting these, these projects... Despite the lack of any evidence that this man knows how to hook readers. Who, like, you mentioned East of West. I read East of West. Why? Like, you know, why do you feel, why do you keep reading? That, that, that's a book, or like, um, what was he doing before Secret Wars? He was doing Avengers. No, before that. Wasn't Remender doing Avengers? No, he was doing Avengers. He was doing Avengers. Avengers. And what was he doing before? There was another book that he did before that. And I um, Shield. The, I've, the not, historical I've not read Shield. But it was the same thing. You read it and you're like, okay. You clearly have some kind of high concept that you're trying to communicate here. Communicate it! We are still here! Okay, anyway. so that was... I will not say the name again Woo! for fear no, no. of rage burst. I don't, I don't hate and, him, No, though. no, no. And, okay, okay, Jonathan Hickman. I'm not coming back for a second issue. I would be happy if there was no second issue. But, uh, like I said, he's consistent. If you're a Hickman fan, this is more of that. I'm a Hickman fan, and I didn't like it. It was too... Hickman is but not... Is it, how no, is it different from... No, no, because it's nothing else. Hickman works in shorthand. Hickman is quick. Burst, you know, in the first issue of the... In this the was first, quick? No, not <laughs> in this. In the first issue of, of the Damn Manhattan Project. You know, you had the twin stories and the introduction and giant zombies attacking from, you know, the Buddhist dimension and aliens and everything. In this issue, it's 64 pages of nothing. It's a Brian Michael Bendis comic. It is. Circa 2009. No. You're right. Isn't that weird that Powers had less of that and Hickman has more? Maybe it's just like this. It's like the Speed Force. cosmic balance. Yeah, maybe it's like the Speed Force. Like only one person can have it at a time. I don't know. <laughs> the Bandis Force? The Bandis Force. The Bandit okay. Force. Okay. The, um, the last number one issue. On, oh, thank God. A breath, of, breath of fresh air. So. FG number one. Yes. Written by Team Seeley mm-hmm. of Hex Slash and Nightwing Fame? Fame. No, Nightwing. He, yeah. He's doing... Oh, Grayson. Yeah. He's doing Grayson. No, I, I'm, I, I was wondering if the word fame is right. If he's famous enough to have the word fame attached to him. Well, he's a novelist. Recognition. Too. No, he's not. Isn't he? No. Oh, that's Tim. Tom Lillard. King, the guy, the other guy who writes Grayson, is a novelist. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, and drawn by Molly Zircon, he did Rival Schools miniseries before that. Mm-hmm. Seems fit. Uh, would you explain the plot? Yes, I. Calmly. Would. 
Well, <laughs> well no, no, I, I actually like this a lot. Um, and the reason that I liked it was because I feel like Seely dodges a bullet here. The, the premise of the story is um, the protagonist, Chandra Jackson, is sort of the prototypical disgraced child star. She was famous for a role that she was playing when she was a child. Uh, she grew out of that role and wanted to do other things, and of course she was typecast. And having no other alternatives in the entertainment field, she ended up becoming a cop. It's it's so in true her to small life. hometown that in her hometown of, of yeah. effigy mount, and it's so true to life because the first association that my mind made with that was you know Gary Coleman, who was known for playing Arnold on different strokes. You know what you're talking about, Willis, and ended up being a security guard before he died. So like, and it, it no, does he happen. Beca- it became an internet meme. He was a gag. He was a gag in that uh, the the theater production Avenue Q or whatever, probably. Like he, I, 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 I'm not a huge. Because, you know, see, I didn't follow his career, that, but that's the first. Okay, that's or like the, Macaulay Culkin, who looks like he's on heroin these days. Like, you never know with him, but you know. So like, there, there is Seely sort of making this point about how you, you know it, it, the the evils of celebrity and the damage that we as society do to child. Okay, uh, stars. that's an interesting point to make. The problem is that it's followed by a generic, strange mystery in a small town. Which yeah. is the exact same problem that I had with Pars. It's such a competently done first issue mystery that I'm bored already. Well... For, 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 because I like the character, I like the idea behind it. Mm. This is the kind of thing that would actually benefit from 64 or 48 pages because it could develop itself behind the basic premiere of the series, which is a strange mystery in a small town, only, you know, with the highlight, it's a former child star. No, but I think the issue here isn't so much the, the mystery itself, because th- there's a, a mystery that seems to be connected to, to her, her specifically. Not it's connected to her. Well, you know, it's, it's not clear. Basically, like, th- there is a lot of, of ambiguity here, and, and I'll, I'll get to that in a bit, but, like, what I do like here is, like I said, Seely lands more on the true-to-life side of the fence rather than cliche. And you see that very clearly in the scene with Chandra's mother. Because she is written very much as, like, the stage mom who manages the her daughter. stage mom, yeah. But, in, like, in, specifically in the context that she's seen here, she comes across as a very pathetic figure. Like, she is constantly talking about the glory days and when they bumped into Ben Affleck. And Chandra, by comparison, is happy with her life. Like, she enjoys being a cop. She... You know, she 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 sort of she deals she with. She keeps her, her head up. Yeah. yeah, I like the characters. It's an interesting Again, I like the characters. Mm-hmm. The stories. It's not bad. It's just it's competent, which is one of the worst things you can say about something. Because I'd say it's good because it, it hinges. See, this is the, like if we're comparing this to the dying and the dead, right? Yeah. What works here is the central hook that if you jump the hurdle of you like Chandra as a character, like she's presented in well in a well enough light. That when you get to the end, you're like, okay, so it's a murder mystery. Well, we'll talk about the last two pages in a minute. But it's like, so it seems to be a murder mystery, right, in a small town. And she is the child star turned cop. If her story is intriguing enough on its own, and I think that it is specifically because of the child star angle. If she were just like an ordinary cop, this would be Welcome to Tranquility. Where it's just like so typical. Or again, Powers. Well, powers, 
like Powers has the excuse of because Dina Pil- it its because own in this version of Dina Pilgrim, Dina Pilgrim is also a former star because she has a book. To, you don't we don't know what it was because we haven't read the previous volumes, but right. we know it's oh you're you're that famous person Dina Pilgrim, right? So it's it's the it's but almost the, the exact same thing, right? But the difference is like Dina has a backstory and she exists in a much wider universe that you can get invested in or not. Here, you know, okay, so up until the last two pages. It seems to be a very normal... Uh, but it's Vertigo, so... But it's Vertigo. So, of course, we have two pages in which there's an old man. And, yeah. he, and let me just read this. So, basically, uh, it, it burns so bright. Soulgate. The first step on the Everladder. White. Pure and untainted. I take another step. A step of one million light years. Did Grant Morrison ghost write this? Where the like? It's, it's such a no, jarring. No, Aikman. <laughs> no, actually, I could follow this a little easier. But anyway, um, it's a very jarring change of tone, change of scene. Like it's not. It, it doesn't seem to have anything to do with. Like there's this like cosmic thing going well, on. Well, it's supposed to be a, a, sh- a shift in tone. The question is, what's the shift for other than the mystery? Well, that's where no, that's where it comes in because what it turns out is that this person is the man who created the show that Chandra was on. Yeah. So you have this sort of connection. Now, I, I'll i admit that that seemed like a bit of a, a of a letdown, only in the sense that I would be happy with, like, a quote-unquote realistic, gritty detective story. Like, you know, if this was her going into, like, the underside of her own hometown. Like, um, what was the name of that David Lynch movie that was actually somewhat coherent? The one that he made where you actually understood Straight what was story? happening. No. Um, that was the one that was coherent. Blue Velvet. Oh, okay. Like, Blue Velvet was pretty straightforward. It wasn't Doom, is what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> anyway, so... It's like Blue Velvet in the sense that, you know, she's in this town that seems normal, but she... She can't... Like, she's not someone who can go undercover. Right? People know who she is. Yeah. The, there's a scene where she is uh, assigning somebody a parking ticket, and she's like... Oh, you're that disgraced child star, and then the guy behind her is like, you know, you, you had an awesome sex tape. That's that felt a bit too obvious for me. Eight is, you know, for yeah. a first issue, like I, I get okay. it. Okay, so you know what my major problem is? Mm-hmm. This issue starts with a uh, five pages of the TV show on which her, she in which she became famous, and I with this art style, I would rather read that. No. Yes, because... Not uh, Sentai Girls on a Flying Pirate. Yeah, no, because... Thank you. Uh, the that is my nightmare. No, because thank you. <laughs> Marley Zircon is a good artist for that kind of material. And when we have the shift to the real world, it's the exact same pleasant-looking uh, post-Gotham Academy style. Right. And you needed either a different artist or someone more versatile for the shift. But then it comes back at the end. Like, th- this is the thing. Um, I th- if, you, if you cut out the parts about the show and the last two pages... Then it well, lo- you it can't like cut it out. It's no. not a paste-up comic. No, 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 but I'm saying if that's the section that you're looking at, then it looks like a completely different... Like It looks like the kind of book that is like Powers. If you take the framework into account, right, the fact that the, the show... Like, it, it, the, the creator of the show is apparently, like, involved in yeah. all this cosmic shit, and then you have... So the show may have been connected to it, and what was her role on the show, and there's also this very bizarre scene with a prostitute who is also a stalker and possibly transsexual. That, and that's the weirdest piece of art on the issue because if you look at the bottom of page 15, she's seven feet tall for no apparent reason. And then Maybe she's just seven feet tall. No, but the mm-hmm. following page, she's normal size again. That's just weird. 
Yeah, so like she's an odd fangirl, but yeah. she she might know her. Like th- there seems to be a lot more under the surface. And unlike Powers, I feel like if Seely Seely could follow through with this, like th- if this ends up being a more cosmic mystery, and we know from the solicitation that it's meant to be, which is another thing that I didn't bring up. Um, this book was solicited as you know we know that there's a cult that worships celebrities. That was the hook that got us into the book. That cult doesn't appear here. Not yet. Sir, not appearing in this episode, right? Not yet. Not yet. So, having that knowledge is like, okay, this is not going to be a run-of-the-mill mystery. No, it's going to be a run-of-the-mill <clears throat> vertigo mystery. Not even then. I mean, be- because it was the premise that caused us to seek this out, right? Yeah. So, if that is the premise that the book ends up being about, it ain't in this issue. But if that's where it's heading, then it's like, presumably the more outlandish aspects of, of the artwork, you know, Again, it's, giving it's, a chance for Zarkon to really go out there. I'm just, I'm tired of serialized long-form mysteries. Right. Well, we had this mysteries. problem with the names. Yeah, and no. with Powers, with Powers right now. No, powers? No, I, I don't think it's different, because it's a new number one for a lot of people. It will be the first Powers that they read, because it comes next to the TV show, so it has more publicity. But even if it's the first Powers that you read... You know that it's Bendis. Not everybody. There are ex. Nah, listen. You, uh, how how could you avoid Bendis today? Like you're coming into comics, right? Even if you're brand new, you know who this guy is. Okay. And it's like we, because we also like don't forget that we reacted to Powers the way we did in large part because this is a book that we dropped. I don't think like it might not be fair to expect Seely to do things differently. But I, again, like I, I'll be here for the first arc. Because I, I do like Chandra as a character, as, as a protagonist. I think she's interesting. Um, I'm waiting for the trailer. And the, I, I I'm not convinced by the cosmic angle. I'll say that up front. Yeah. Like, if it turns out that this weird old guy actually is astral projecting into a black hole with a giant guy who's, mm. like, debris falling ever, then I'm going to be a See, little like, eh. Ah, that's the thing that I like. You know, that's I, the I like the Grant Morrison angle. But then again, I, already... I feel like if you're going to do the Grant Morrison angle, you have to be set Grant it up. Morrison. No, you have to set it up. Like, listen, Stuart Moore does the Grant Morrison angle in Egos. You know, going into it, that that's what you're going to get. Okay. Uh, we'll that's end the, with the reviews of our number ones, and we are moving on to a, a trade. trade. Tom, the the smile on your face right now. You're I... just like you're beaming because I've read it again for this, and it's always <laughs> nice to read again Transformers versus GI Joe Volume One. Yes. From IDW by Tom Cioli and John Barber, who write, and Tom Cioli, who draws and does everything else himself. Mm-hmm. It's basically a Tom Cioli book with John Barber, Barber. assistance on writing. Uh, yeah, because John Barber is IDW head of Transformers brand. Okay, well, so he's, you know. And Tom Cioli basically needs a guiding hand of, like, these are the characters, this is what you can do with them, now do your own shtick. Okay. And this is a very Tom Cioli book. Now, Tom Cioli got this famous... It's a very Tom book. In general, yeah, because <laughs> you have been talking up this book, yeah, for a long time, and right, I'm so. going to let you like let it out. Oh, it's Go hard to it. explain it in you know in the short time that we have left because <laughs> we have been talking up Storm, you know, throughout this whole episode. What it is, it takes the thing that you expect it to be a simple, straightforward story, and it does anything, everything else, mm-hmm. every single thing that you expect from something called Transformers versus GI Joe. You're not going to get you. You don't. Okay. And again, I'm I'm not a huge Transformers slash GI Joe fanboy. I've read some Transformers comic. I've watched the TV shows as a kid. I've read the Larry Hammer run on GI Joe. That's it. And already from these things, you know, from the mere existence of these things as brands of toys, 
there are certain mainstream expectations of what it what it should be, and this book doesn't. Do it. First thing, you open it up, and it's Tom Scioli art book, and it's Tom Scioli at his Tom Scioliest. You know, it's not even Kirby. I think it's it's like Copra. It's it's very odd post, you know, grunge sort of it's work. Unique. Yeah. Yeah, you don't see a lot of that. The characters actually look like action figures for half the time. Mm. Inten- and it's not bad art. It's intentionally so because Tom Scioli knows what he's doing. So that's the first thing. And then you actually reach the double page spreads. And Tom Scioli goes all over in terms of shorthand. And uh, in number three, I think, issue number three, where the Decepticons attack a battleship. Yeah. You have the double page spread, which has... 17 different things happening on it all at once and you understand each and every one. It's like at the top of the panel, you know, battle planes. At the middle of the panel, two giant robots and you get the scale. Mm-hmm. Lift up a ship and then you have the soldiers running and fighting other soldiers who are invading and there's something underwater and there's people jumping off and jumping on and there's a series of panels beneath which shows what happens within the ship. So that's one, you know, just don't see all these art. And the other thing is you know, when you hear Transformers vs. G.I. Joe, you expect alien invade Earth. And this book subverted in the first go because by the second issue, G.I. Joe invades Cybertron. Right. Humans are the invaders. And not just that, they're the terrifyingly effective invaders. It's not like puny human versus giant robots. It's like humans destroying machines. And well, the machines. They both, I think like yeah. both sides of this get their Yeah. Room. It's, like, just... it's fair. You wouldn't feel gypped if you were a fan of one over the other. Yeah, and it's. So, and it's both a thing that you can like as a tribute to the past, as a G.I. Joe slash Transformer fan, and something completely unique of its own. It's an object. It's avant-garde Transformers versus G.I. Joe. Mm-hmm. And I'm just in love. For me, this is a comics comic. This is like, it couldn't be anything else. It doesn't want to be a TV show, no. or a movie, or even a cartoon. No, even Tom's, as a cartoon, it wouldn't work. Yeah, because you can't, you can't use Tom Scioli's strange structures for a cartoon. You can't have sound effects that are written down, you know. A character does the double split, <laughs> and, it, and the sound effect is Van Damme. <laughs> what? Yeah. I mean... And it's joyous, and it's perfect, and I enjoy... Okay, your rebuttal, your, good sir. No, 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 I'll say this, and I mean it as a compliment. If there existed at any time a child's conception of what the perfect Transformers G.I. Joe crossover would look like, it would be this to the letter. Like, from the very first page of issue zero, you have that dogfight between the Autobot and the Bounty Hunter. You know, yeah. It's colorful and it's simple, and it taps right into that nostalgia of, you know, if you had your Transformers toys and your G.I. Joe toys, and you were, like, smashing them against each other, and, like, creating this whole imaginary narrative, it would look like this. And I and I don't think there's any question that both Scioli and Barbara are very, very aware of the tradition specifically in comics for both G.I. Joe and, and Transformers. Like, they're actively tapping into that. There are pages here where you look at it and it's like, this could have come right out of the 1980s. Or the know, 70s. Or the or 70s with all the, the different uh, colors. And now I, I will say, like, to be completely honest, right, from a purely critical perspective... This is not for me in the sense that it's simplistic by design. For like in issue two, when the when the Joes are about to bomb Cybertron, right, yeah. with the, the the green bombs. Yes. Kenny raises this objection and says, you know, if we do this thing, and you know, we'll never know if Cybertron had organic life or if we brought it with us. Like we're going to be 
ruining a, a, an alien planet's uh, ecology by, by dropping these bombs. And Scarlet's reaction is, any other objections? No? Drop the bombs. Because obviously, like that, that is not the comic that this was. Ever no, no, but be. the fact that the, the the fact that he even brings it up, the, because Scarlet representation is a is a perfect you know ver- variation on the Larry Hama straightforward you know soldiers doing their soldiers' right. duty. Like she, but also, I mean, she has usually been one like the, the, one of the core members yeah, of Joe. the team. Yeah. You know, she is the Joe that, and here she's the team leader. She's the field leader. You yeah, know, that's unique for me. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's. I, the best thing that I can say about this is, you know, again, like while acknowledging that this is not something that I would pick up for my own enjoyment, what it does, it does very, very, very well, very well. Like I mean, every single page, the design, the writing, the way that they match up the characters. Uh, there's a scene in um, in the fourth issue, I think, yeah. or possibly the end of the third, where they talk about. Uh, um, there's this stone carving of the the events that have led up to this point, and they talk about Optimus Prime leaving That's the fourth somewhere. Issue, yeah. Fourth issue, yeah. right? And how Grimlock became king. It's like so. And Grimlock tells it, and then the the drawings become even more primitive to signifying the way he speak. Right. And in the the very same issue again, because this thing is so varied and so shorthand and so quick. In the same issue, you also have Tales from the Pit, sure. where the GI Joe uh, headquarters become for some reason. And EC comic. <laughs> and in that, again, in that same issue, again, these are all things from the same issue. Yeah. You have we three reimagined as the G.I. Joe pets as space adventures. <laughs> it's, it's a we three homage. They're called US 7. Yeah. That's just insanely it's, beautiful. It's it a is. comics comic. Yeah. There's a sense of pure joy sure. and, and I think experimentalism. It's like, yes. Now that I, I'm in this thing, which is supposedly the most limited thing in the universe, because I'm in. I have to answer to IDW and to Hasbro. Yeah. And no, I'm doing whatever I want, and no one will tell me what to do. Is this an ongoing, by the way? Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, again, they're taking a break again after the first arc, okay. but but you know, the next issues have been solicited. Right. Like this is someone that I I am imagining that like you know IDW. The the, the people in charge are reading Cole's work, and they're like. This is the guy who gets it. I think, like, better than, than most, because, um, again, like, I'm not a huge Transformers expert, but it does seem that different writers have very different takes on what these characters should be doing in the 21st century. And Scioli is, like, he's... Re- you can't deny that it's retro. No, But I no, think no. that it's retro in a way that doesn't depend entirely on our nostalgia. Because, you know, it's just fun. Are you, have you read the back matter for every issue? Uh, I skimmed over okay. it in the first two, but like, again, that's why okay. I'm saying like, these guys know what they're doing. Because I, w- one of the reasons I love it is the back matter where in the end of every issue, he goes page by page yes. and explains to you the shout outs that he did for early Transformers comics. And I'm a process nerd. Hmm. You know, I'm the kind, of guy, the kind of guy who dies for these sort of things. And, yeah. oh, I didn't notice that. And I did notice this. Oh, how clever of me. How clever of him. And you can, like you said, you enjoyed it, you know, the part of it which you enjoy without it, and I enjoyed it even more with it. Yeah. I mean, again, like, there's no question in my mind that you get a lot more out of it if you're either a fan of one or the other or both, right? Like, if you were a Hasbro fan, then you have every right to geek out over this. Me, personally, I'm like, I tend to prefer something a little more... Down to Earth? 
No, well, that's not... I mean, okay. More complex, I think. Mm. Uh, slightly more complex. Because, again, like, the, the, the simplicity here is part of the charm. Like, uh, like I said, this reads very much like something that you would have given a child in the 80s if they, you know, having come from the cartoons... What would you want to read to make you feel like, you know, like, fun time? I don't think a child would enjoy it. Oh, I was about to say, a child would enjoy it on the same level as me. That's just insultingly... No, I mean, mean, this is all ages in in the best sense of the term, I think. Because it doesn't... Like, what are the major... Okay, at the most basic, there's a mistaken identity trope here, right? Like, the Joes are attacking Cybertron... Without making the distinction between of Autobots and Decepticons. Trans- yes, Transformers versus G.I. Joe, not Decepticons. Yeah, like the G.I. Decepticons have basically fooled them into doing this whole thing. And it's like, that is a plot point that I'm sure has happened 80,000 times in the Transformers by now. Because the Decepticons are deceptive. You know, that's pretty much how it is. So, it's, And it's like, there's nothing here that would require, like, deep thinking about, you know, who who are the, like, what are the character conflicts here? You know, no, there is eh. no. The big character conflict is whatever happens to Snake Eyes, and in most comics, yeah, if they tell you, you know, Snake Eyes was the biggest J. Joe name within the comic, as a trader, you would say, "Well, he was a white ninja." If, yeah, it's, <laughs> you're saying it's a fake. It's a fake. You know, obviously he's faking it. But in this comic that you know kills Cobra Commander dead in the very first issue, and one by by the way, that page, you know, from issue yes. zero, where it's amazing. That's that was my favorite page last year. Yeah. Uh, so when they do this, and when they do the whole humans invading this planet, and in the, in Cybertron, Megatron has basically conquered a planet a long time ago, I don't know what to expect. I'm, surp- I'm surprised again, not every issue, every single page. You yeah. don't know what's going to happen, and I love it. Yeah. There, there were like it's occasional not, moments. Who, who is it that's having that conversation when they're looking at the, the stone carvings on the walls, yeah. right? To explain what happened. Bazooka, right? Somebody starts talking about how, you know... It doesn't matter, like, Prime left and we don't know his reasons, yeah. but we believe in him anyway. And then the other person says, well, if he's not here, then he can be alive, dead, a coward, whatever. Like, you know, he's not relevant. He's not here. It's like this whole discussion of, well, it's sort of like, you know, religious uh, uh, discussion. It's, like, it's after, it, after you, one human character had a religious, uh, religious experience after eating Cybertronic drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Again... You have a G.I. Joe in a kid's comic eating a leaf and goes on a trip. Yeah, but... A cosmic Jim Starlin-esque, you know, space trip. Why not? Why not? You know... I, it's so, a com- that's a comic that lit... That's That should be the slogan of the comic. Why not? I can do these things. Why shouldn't I do them? What? Yeah. You're telling me you're not expecting this? This is unusual? This is not what you want? I don't care. You know, I, Joe's pets as, as super... But it's hard for me to imagine, like, if you were a fan of these characters, and, or if you were reading the other comics for IDW, why would you have a problem with this? Like, because, I mean, it it does what it does so well. And this isn't, like, a deconstruction of Transformers. And no. it's not a deconstruction of G.I. No, Joe. oddly, oddly, the ongoing Transformers series is a deconstruction of Transformers. I'm not surprised. Yeah. You know, like, because you have to take it somewhere. Yeah. But it's like, so this really does seem to go back to an older tradition, and I think that... that it's it's good for that reason. I personally, like, it's one of those situations where as a critic you say, I recommend this book. I do not read it. Like, I, 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 this isn't typical of what I would read for my own enjoyment. Like, I don't, there's me as a reader and there's me as a critic. I'm, as a critic, I recommend it wholeheartedly. As a reader, it's not for me. And for me, I think it's a taste changer because... It's the type of comic that me five years ago, 
still deep into Vertigo, wouldn't read, you know, mm. deep into Vertigo, starting into Image. Because when you're uh, late teen, you're like, serious comics, you know, comics should be serious and grand. Yeah. And this is pop. This is pop comics. This mm. is like... Yes. This is... We don't try to ape literature or cinema or anything else. And I love it as a structuralist fan. You know, this is what Ellen Moore would do if he would have been lighthearted instead of, you know, deep in his own library of mm. mechanical weird or whatever. I feel like this is the sort of thing he might have been intending with Supreme and didn't work. Yeah, because he's too and serious. And here it does. Yeah. Because Tom Scioli is more... He has the lightness of touch. Yes. And he's not, af- he's not afraid of anything. He doesn't care what you think of him, you know, like, this well, is a... He- it's not like, well, this is a childish thing you're doing. I don't care. I'm doing comics, you know, right. with giant robots, and I'm loving it. But you're saying, like, he doesn't care what he thinks as if what he's doing is controversial. No. Like, it's not controversial. I think I think it will be controversial for certain Transformers fans who want the current IDW direction, which is, again, more serious and more post-Watchmen. But they have that. Yeah, but, you know, it's like, when, when you're a young person into comics and you're moved on from the kids' mm-hmm. comics to the grown-up comics, right. you're sort of... It's the it's the being embarrassed about the fact that you know Batman sixty six is a thing that exists because you want people to think you seriously for reading Frank Miller's Batman. I think Batman sixty six. Um, sixty six. Well, you know the fact that the TV show exists, not the ongoing comic right now. But that's an excellent example of like you know the, the fact that the ongoing comic exists yeah. in no way compromises yeah. the dark and gritty and quite frankly rather cartoonish Batman that we're having now. It is a callback to the show. And really, like, when you watch the show today... It's a comedy. Yeah. I think it was a comedy even then. But it's like, it's it, it doesn't have to exist at the expense of something else. So, you know, Scioli's doing this. And I think that, that, like, I would be surprised if there was something in this comic that people legitimately objected to. Because he he's tapping that nostalgia button, but he's doing it in a way that, unlike a lot of attempts to mine nostalgia, actually understands why people are nostalgic about it. Like, it is that sense of, you know, explosions and spectacle and color and, and you know, like, moral simplicity, because you don't really need to get, like, the Decepticons are evil. Yeah. They're just evil. They just are. You know, that's uh, how it Graham, is. Graham from the uh, Wait Wild podcast had a great yeah, idea. He he said that this comic should be printed on a newsprint paper. Yes, I want I I would pay for an artist newsprint edition. Yes, this absolutely, and the way it should be. So yeah, that's Transformers versus GI Joe. We're ending on a good positive note. Yeah, yeah, you know we, we mean, needed that. No, listen. <laughs> so <sighs> that was a very long episode of uh, the Smorgasbord. I'm Tom Shapiro. I'm Sean Edry. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Bon appetit.